You have a wound, Eleven. A terrible wound. The gate. I opened it. And it's festering. And it will grow. Spread. And eventually, it will kill you. Welcome to another weekly meeting of the AV Club, otherwise known as The Fear of God, your podcast where we explore the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. We are very excited that you're here with us uh, in this, our next chapter of Stranger Things Giving. I am Reed Lackey, and with me is the one and only, the king of Demogordons and Mind Flayers, it is Nathan Rouse. Nathan, how are you, buddy? (laughs) <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm here. Happy Stranger Thanksgiving. Happy Stranger Thanksgiving. How you know, are you doing? I am, I'm good. I'm good. I I, I wanted, um, I knew that I opened Stranger Things season one's conversation, so naturally was going to defer to you, but I mm. was going to say that you were uh, busy checking on your polywog was what I had. Ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which could mean one or two things, depending on what context. Uh, you look sure, at. sure. You know, I meant it as something real specific. But does your sure, yeah, sure? We'll, we'll yes. just leave it there. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm doing well, man. You know, so it is the middle of November. Um, yes. Uh, you, uh, listeners won't know uh, that it's been quite a while since we've recorded together. So it's kind of fun to be back in the upside down, as it were, um, mm-hmm. discussing ye all stranger things too. Um, before we get too far down that path, Mr. Lackey. Oh, yes, I, sir. I am I am just I'm curious and I think, you know, listeners might be interested to know as well just what you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? That's nice. I like I like that. That's pleasant. That's, that was, was a, a, a nicer, put, yeah. It warmed good. the cuckles of my heart. It, uh, it, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it inflamed my polywog. It was great. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, this is, we're starting strong on this one. <laughs> um, Terribly uh, punchy this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's all good. It's all good. Um, so yes, I have a book 
and a movie. The book is somber. The movie is fun. Um, I have a movie and a TV series. So that's yeah, well, or I'm not a movie, I'm... a book and a TV series. Okay, well, we can share about the movie. I was going to talk about. So ah, um, the book listeners won't yet know that I'm about to time travel for us real quick. Um, oh, in about a month, you're going to listen to the podcast, listener. And be like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, I know. So I'm reading, <laughs> I'm reading right now, thanks to you, my dear friend, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' new book, uh, We Were Eight Years in Power. And I had a slight disappointment about this book when I started it because what I didn't realize in the reading of it. So if anyone's unfamiliar with Coates' work, he's an amazing writer. I mean, just purely from a craft standpoint. But he's an essayist for The Atlantic, Primarily, and he's also written one other book called Between the World and Me. Um, but Eight Years in Power, this new book, what I didn't know uh, before starting it was that it's largely a collection of essays he's already written for The Atlantic. Um, so there's a little bit, of, there's a twinge of disappointment there when upon realizing that. However, the, he, he companions each of those essays that were written over the course of eight years with new material. So it's kind of editorial on the essay you're about to read. So from that standpoint, it was really positive and, and good. But also, now you've not read Between the World and Me, have you? No, no. I've never read okay. any of Coates' works. Um, he, oh, also for the nerds out there, he writes Black, Marvel's Black Panther currently, um, which, which you know, is, is a good read as well. Uh, Coates is an, an avowed atheist, uh, African-American. We are extremely from extremely different walks of life. But I am so grateful to have stumbled into his work. I don't know if this is going to make any sense whatsoever, but I've really been processing this material. And the other day I was trying to assess how would I sort of describe this to someone. I wasn't thinking, how will I talk about this on the podcast? It was just how do I sort of internally process what I'm reading? And I think you'll understand this. There's this way as a late 30-something white male person of faith having grown up in the church that you look back down the hallway of your faith experience and start to realize just how narrow it was in mm-hmm. terms of comprehension and worldview and understanding. Right. And and not just how narrow it was, but how detrimentally deficient it was in assessing certain matters of the world. I know that's so heavy and random, but what I mean by that is Coates writes at length about the African-American experience in mm-hmm. modern U.S. culture. And to read his work is very powerful. Uh, it's, it's humbling, it's challenging, it's educational, and, and, it's, and it's convicting. Um, yeah. And it will really rework some of the frame you, you kind of view the world through. In, mm. in a posi- in a positive way, sure, um, or rather, in a constructive way, in okay. in such a way that as a person of faith, you start to say, "Wow, how have I just dismissed the plight of certain groups of people just because I was in the narrow hallway of the church upbringing?" Does that make sense I got at you. all? Uh, I th- yeah, I think I think I understand your meaning. It's just yeah, that yeah. Um, the. It, it, it what you're describing is making me think of the bubble the that like we sure. we, we yeah. grow up in yes. a bubble and and that our experiences are bubbled based on our peers who share those experiences and and some people 
myself included, can sometimes look at the world as if um, this bubble is the only experience there is of the world, and that's that's a flaw, that's a fallacy, and so that that's at least what I'm taking from what yes, you're describing. Very, yeah. very much that kind of idea, and my wife and I were hashing out some of the things I was stewing over and, and reading this and, and just talking about how, how good and right and appropriate and healthy it is to expose yourself to and to read about people not like you. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and how kind of fruitful that is for one's spirit and empathy and compassion levels. Oh, absolutely. Um, Anyway, so again, I know that's a bit of a somber entry in what you're watching, but I'm going to follow Welcome it. Welcome to the fear of God, everybody. Right, right. I am going to follow it quick on its heels. I know you've seen it too, my friend. Um, it's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so yes, we did both. Unfortunately, not together. We did go see no. Thor Ragnarok. Um, oh my gosh. What a great movie, man. I loved it. I loved it so much. I mean, I think uh, this is your what you watch and read and listen sure, to, but I'm right. just going to hijack it, it for a second. Pick like, like I will say this. I think pound for pound, the the most enjoyable experience I've had from the MCU so far is still the first Avengers movie. I think just pound for pound, that's, that's still probably number one for me. Sure. Um, if I'm talking about personal experiences. Objectively, you know, the numbers might shift around a little bit, but... Um, in terms of personal experiences, the first Avengers movie is still sort of my, my favorite of it. But I think Ragnarok might be second. I mean, I spent the entire movie with a smile on my oh face. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. Loved well, it Avengers, so I, I think I understand a little bit of what you're scratching at there. I mean, Avengers feels like it's got a bit more well-written character stakes. Mm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, so, so perhaps as a story, as a narrative, it might be a little stronger. But I'm with you. I, I can't remember having that much fun beginning to end in a film like the guardians movies get close to it sure they're fun right yeah absolutely but i mean every three to five minutes there was a line and and they're unexpected right it's it's not like you see the punchline coming anyway i I loved it it was oh they're so great um it was so great jeff was hysterical jeff goldblum has hysterical (laughs) Oh my gosh, he was so perfectly cast in that role. I have a feeling that when Taika Waititi brought him to the to the set, and Goldblum, if he ever asks this kind of thing at all, like, "Hey, how do you want me to play this?" I bet Taika was just like, oh, "Just be Jeff Goldblum. Like, just do that. Right. <laughs> like, whatever you're gonna do, just just do that." And I feel like they really, um, I had I had written a review about it, and I I think I said it's somewhat rare for a non spoof, a non spoof to lead the rhythm of its narrative with comedy. But this one sure, does. Sure, and I think sure. it works very, very well for it. I think it's it's a better movie for it. I have heard some complaints that I that I understand but didn't feel this way, that because it was so lighthearted that some of the stakes or some of the gravitas of what's actually taking place on screen gets undermined a little bit. I wouldn't like fight against that, but right, I just right. I just didn't care. Like I was just having too much fun. So I so it didn't matter to me that that potential was actually true so yeah i just it, what i said was to people is like if you like the brooding dark sort of side of superhero stuff then you may not like it very much but if you want to just have a fun time at the movies like go see it because it is just it's just fun it's so much stinking fun i loved it i want to see it again like right him, now him as korg is, oh. is scene stealing oh, oh God, meek's dead hysterical. 
Oh, I, I stomped on him during the battle, but <laughs> I felt guilty about it, and so I've been carrying him around all this time. Oh my god! Oh, Meek, you're alive! Oh my gosh! It's oh, what so was your funny. question again, bro? Oh, it's oh, so it's funny. Hysterical. It's hysterical. Yeah, it's great. Um, so, so yeah, we can both keep. Yeah, we can both heap mounds of affection on that. Um, so in brief, the uh, the book uh, that I have, I uh, want to give a shout out to Mr. J.R. Forresteros, um, who is uh, a fellow pioneer in the intersection between faith and horror. He he uh, leads uh, a podcast about horror films that are not from a Christian perspective. They're simply you know, a, a horror film podcast called Don't Split Up, but he is also a pastor. And uh, so he's a very interesting guy. We've had the opportunity to guest on a couple of other podcasts together. And he wrote a new book that is officially a bestseller, at least of course, according to Amazon, called Empathy for the Devil. And it's a very fascinating concept for a book. I'm loving reading it. I haven't quite finished it yet, but I'm loving reading it. It's a concept of he's examining the notorious villains of the Bible and expressing how we have similarities with some of the worst villains of the Bible. And I love, I will say this, I haven't read this chapter, but he concludes his book with a chapter called What to Do When You Discover That You're the Villain. And it's a really fascinating idea for a book. I think it's a, he's got a, such an engaging writing style. It's very creatively put together. Um, I would love at some point, maybe in 2018, uh, to have him as a guest on the show and talk to him about it. But so, Empathy for the Devil by J.R. Forresteros. I'm loving that book. I'm not quite done with it, but should be done uh, maybe even by the time this actually airs. And then my, my TV show, which I, I kind of go back and forth because it's technically called a miniseries and feels very much like a movie of chapters, very much like what we're talking about today. There's a, a Cartoon Network TV show called Over the Garden Wall. Have you heard of this show? N no, nothing about it, right? No, I don't think so. So it was created by a guy named Patrick McHale, who I think has done some work in like Adventure Time, uh, sure. you know, some of those other sort of uh, smaller... Wacky. Yeah, right. Cartoon Network shows. And so he created this show, and when I was going, I knew it was, I knew it was highly praised, but I didn't know exactly like what it was about or what was going on with it. So I just thought, oh, I'll check it out. I don't even, I don't even know how in the probably minute and a half I have left to tell you why this show is so delightful and sweet and wonderful and scary and uh, is engaging. It like a, is it like a Thirty-minute kind of episodic kind of thing. What is it? Eleven minute. So, oh, so what it is okay. is the the each chapter chapter quote unquote or episode is eleven minutes long. So viewed in total, it's about one hundred and ten minutes, which feels like a like a lengthy movie, a movie with chapters. But it did air on Cartoon Network, I think, episodically with just you know the eleven minute chapter breaks. But the premise is that uh, this boy and his uh, stepbrother uh, find themselves lost. In the Unknown. That's what it's called. They're lost in the unknown, and they have to try to find their way home. And along the way, they meet a variety of quirky and fun and often very frightening, legitimately quite frightening characters. Meanwhile, there's this beast that is pursuing them, and there's some debate about whether or not the beast is real and and exactly what that looks like and why it's after them and everything. When everything comes together, I... I found it to be such a rewarding and emotionally rich experience. It's it's very very good. I don't want to tell you anything more about it. Uh, I just I would love uh, not to tip my hand too highly, but I would love at some point for us to officially cover it on the show. So I kind of want to wait and hold any thoughts about that until the time I think is right to do that. And then when we you know when we want to dive into that together, you'll see it then. And 
and uh, and we'll talk about it at that point. But at this point, I just cannot recommend highly enough. Check out Over the Garden Wall. It's it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's it, it pushes some of the fear buttons. It pushes the funny buttons. It's it's very very good. It's a very accomplished piece. Well, we do like to push the funny button. Um, That's true. Here's <laughs> uh. <Is> my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Viewers of Thor Ragnarok might know what that oh, happens to. Oh God, it's so funny. Do you do you want a do you want a, a steak with you want to stick with three wooden stakes on the end? Uh, no, <laughs> thank, very good for no, killing no, vampires. No, very good such. for killing three vampires huddled close together. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. It's so great. Uh, speaking of TV, uh, have you seen this? Is I hate when the internet takes a thing and says this is a thing when it's really not quite a thing yet. If it ends up being a thing at all. But um, have you seen the conversation around Amazon wanting to potentially develop a Lord of the Rings TV series? I knew it was. So saying that I was had seen the conversation is not really fair because I haven't opened any of the articles. But I have seen articles swirling around that Amazon's flirting with that. That's about as much as I know. Well, interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, the Watch podcast that I listened to, they were talking about. So the guys who host the Watch, or, or at least one of them, is heavily involved in the TV sort of scene in Hollywood and had attended, like, the Critics' Gathering, or I don't know what it's called. Uh, oh. TCA? TCA? Is that a th- that's a thing. I know it is, but I don't remember if that's exactly what it was. But anyway, Jeff Bezos of Amazon was at this, and he was talking about wanting a franchise tentpole, uh, or hmm. rather, like, a genre tentpole, looking at the success of Game of Thrones and saying, okay. I want that. And, in fact, it was interesting because the Watch conversation was about how Amazon has done these little character pieces like Transparent and The Man in the High Castle, or not right, the, uh, right. Mozart in the Jungle. And they were basically saying, you're one of the biggest companies on the planet. Go for it. And so then, sure enough, two, three weeks later, oh, uh, Amazon is flirting with adapting a Lord of the Rings, or you know, greenlighting a Lord of the Rings series adaptation, which honestly, I, I think would be pretty awesome. Oh yeah! Um, oh yeah! Or has the has the potential to be? Has the potential to be? Sure, sure. If they if they do it right, I think the big challenge there is that Jackson's work and Jackson's adaptations are so uh, entrenched now. I think culturally, I think people hear about Gandalf and then they think of Ian McKellen, you know. And so, sure. so I think that would yeah. be maybe part of the challenge is that how do you make it your own without just looking like you've transmitted what Jackson already sort of laid the foundation with. Because Jackson also was very faithful to the original works, at least for the original right, films. Right. So it, so that's something that uh, I think might be a real challenge. I don't, dis- I don't disagree with you. Two thoughts there is, one, I think the transition to a different medium dis- distances it a little bit from that. Mm. Um, yeah. And two, I don't, want, I don't like saying this, uh, Fellowship of the Ring was what? 18 years ago, 17 years oh, ago. Oh, you just I think, impressed me. I think your entrenchment is 2017's. What was that again? You know what I mean? Like that, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, to 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 our generation. Oh, I adore those first. Oh, of course. Films. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But I don't. Anyway, I I, I think if you're probably right, that, if TV had point. been doing then what it's doing now, we would have scratched our heads and said. Why aren't Why you do doing movies? that on TV? Right, right, right. Because exactly. the material, yeah. the material is so rich. Yeah, it lends itself to that. All right, so that has been a 2017 hashtag Stranger Things giving edition of What You Watching? Do 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 do. What you reading? Do 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 do.
what you're listening to. <laughs> I don't even know what that was oh that I did goodness. at the end. I oh don't even. Goodness. I don't even. We got know. a long conversation ahead of us. Read like I think. You yes. You gonna make it? Okay. I'm gonna make it. Uh, um. So, listener, welcome back to Stranger Things Giving. This episode and next episode are going to be very similar to the previous two episodes where we covered Stranger Things Season 1. We are just going to have one big honking conversation. Uh, well, I guess it may be. Uh, presumably, it will, it will be a, a big conversation about all of Stranger I Things think so. Season 2. Um, we will discuss much like season one, we'll discuss kind of overall feelings about the season in broad strokes that may take quite a while. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, and then we'll drill down and cover episode by episode, finishing off with themes. It is worth mentioning to listeners. So it is the week after Halloween. Uh, so you and I both are roughly a week removed from having watched and uh, more or less having finished the season, but what listeners don't know is you and I made a pact to not discuss our feelings on Stranger Things 2. Exactly. Until I have no right idea now. how you feel about right, it. Right, yeah. right. Until yeah. right now, we literally have not uh, spoken about the show. I'm uh, quite have, nervous. We, we had, if you remember this, there was a few brief texts in, in, in episode one, and that was it. Yeah, like, like two um, or three at the most. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was like, you know what? Let's just go radio silent. Now, I don't know about you. The only material I have consumed ancillary to the actual show, because I really wanted to have as much as I could of my own sort of thoughts inform this conversation. Sure, sure. Was uh, Alan Steppenwall a TV critic for Hitfix? Hitfix? Uprox? Who knows? One of these. <laughs> one of these. One of these fix rocks show internet sites. Um, but re- really good, really good TV critic that I like a lot. Um, I read his overall review. It was not a hmm. episode by episode. It was just a general take. And okay. then on the watch podcast, they broke their conversation up into three parts. I only listened to the first part of that, which covered episodes one through three. And then you had informed me of beyond stranger things. I watched about three of those, but okay. that's it. That's it. I mean, like that's I have it. not really consumed anything else because I really wanted to have a fresh conversation. In terms of quantifying, I think you've you've engaged actually with more than I have because literally the, I I purposefully avoided any reviews. I wanted my opinions about it, so I didn't I didn't listen or cool. read any any sort of uh, like what do the people think about right, the Stranger right, Things right. as it were. So so I have avoided. What all do the of people those. think about the things? <laughs> the things um, of the but, stranger. But I did watch all of the all seven episodes of the Beyond Stranger Things because those you watched the first three those really felt more like special features on a DVD than they did right yes, uh, yes. review or commentary as it were so I so, may have gotten um, through four of those I can't remember but um, but um, but yeah I watched all seven of those but that is the only uh, extra content that I've engaged other than the episodes got, yeah, themselves I think I got through four four is with Joe Curie and Gaten I believe I think that was four but. And, and so as far as the watch conversation goes, I actually did not quite realize that conversation was about to happen. And then I was in the podcast like, okay, fine. I'll listen to them. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so this is, uh, we're going to, we're going upside down together, brother. We're, Here we we're go. Jump, Here jumping. We go. The pit. So I want to preface this five hour conversation. Um, <laughs> it really if it's five can't. hours, we're splitting it into December. Right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Stranger Things, Stranger Christmas. Um, no, no. So, 
I wanted a way for you and I to sort of give a quick take on the feelings attached to season two's watch without going too much into detail yet. So the question I want to pose for both of us in a numeric, and the answer would be in a numeric form, on a scale of one to ten, how did season two, how well did season two give you what you wanted? Is that a good way to phrase that question? Sure, sure. Or I give, have a you, give you what you sort of hoped for. Yeah, I think that's I've got sort a, of what I'm after. All right. Yeah. So I've got a number on three. Say the number at the same time, then we'll unpack it because I don't want I don't want to be uh, swayed by your number here. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Here we go. So on three, this the, the answer to the question is how well did season two of Stranger Things give you what you hoped for out of ten? You ready? Okay. You got it. Yeah. On three. One, two. Three, four. eight. Really? Wow! Oh my god! Oh my god! We <laughs> this is gonna all. be this oh is god. gonna be such a fun conversation. Eight. This is gonna be such a Holy fun conversation. Cow. Eight, eight. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, you know, let's let's go through the gate. Let's the get into it. Eight. Okay. Um, I feel like I think you just chose the number eight because it has relevance to season two of Stranger Things. Um. Oh, we'll get there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. Yeah. What What do you want to say? So, um, so I have I have a small handful of trivial bits. Like, just uh, we we may okay, get into okay, a sure. couple of trivial bits as we get into the episodes, but I have just two or three like broad sweeping ones. Um, so uh, the 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 first one I'm going to end with the most fun. So just there's a lot of fun costumes uh, on Halloween night. So so the second episode, Trick or Treat Freak. Um, there's a lot of fun costumes that if you just sort of do little screen grabs, you're going to see costumes ranging from Animal House to Rocky to, of course, the Halloween Karate franchise. Kid. Yeah, Karate Kid's in there. So so there's lots of fun 80s costume call-outs in that episode. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. If any listeners want to go back and check out that specific scene, uh, there's lots of fun little Easter eggs and nuggets in that. I felt very, going like, fear of God meta right here. I felt very validated and vindicated. You said you did watch Beyond Stranger Things season one, or not what? season one, uh, Beyond Stranger uh, Things episode like, one. I know exactly what you're about to say, but uh, yes, uh, yes. yeah, I watched about three or four of them. So, um, so I felt very validated when they said that they viewed the Demogorgon like the shark in Jaws, uh, and yeah, I was I knew like, that's right, you're gonna and, say. And so, and what listeners may or may not know, or may or may not believe, is that so when we had the conversation that they just eminently heard, probably the none of this material had been released. No, so we recorded just, that weeks before the show. Yeah. So I just feel very smart and validated that like, yeah. you know, that, that they were like, I, cause I brought up the jaws analogy you did. and it was you like, did. Oh, look at this. Look at this behind the scenes stuff. Me tapping into the Duffer brothers. Yeah. yeah. Call me, call me Duffer brothers. I, you got a job for me. Um, so you, you'd probably do better. <laughs> but we're, we'll get there so um, so bits. then um, the the last trivial bit that I have is I thought this was a re- this is a fan theory it's not a Duffer Brothers endorsed theory it's a fan theory but I love it and I'm just going to go ahead and say it's true the character of Bob Newby who I'm sure we'll talk about in detail in a, in a little bit uh, get it Newby because he's a newbie to the yeah. show yeah yeah, yeah, we all, yeah we all get it so um the fan theory is that he is a survivor of the events of the book It. Have you heard this theory? No. Now, well, obviously- you know what? You know what? So, okay, it's funny you ask that because you're 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 ringing a bell in my head of something I just saw on Facebook today about the connection between It and Stranger Things. So, which yes. is probably yes. what you're talking about here. 
Yeah. So so I, I stumbled across this fan theory that basically claims that when he's talking about, first of all, he's from Maine. The show definitively states that. He's from Maine. Doesn't name a town. He's from Maine. And he talks about a dream that he had where a character named Baldo, Baldo the Clown is mm-hmm. trying to give him a balloon. You want a balloon, kid? You know. And so he talks about that. So the fan theory out there is that because Bob is an adult, that he actually right. was not dreaming. He has simply forgotten an encounter with Pennywise that he's now calling Baldo. So what I said I to... Yeah, I mean, what I said when, you know, some family members were like, ooh, what do you think? You think it's true? And I said, given the level of intentionality to the references that the Duffer Brothers include in this, I would go ahead and say it would not surprise me at all if that was a deliberate call-out to some of those connection points. Do I think in the world of Stranger Things that Bob Newby is actually from Derry, Maine? No, I don't think they get that meta about it. It's a, its its own universe, all of that sort of stuff. But I think as a referential touch point. It would not surprise me at all if the Duffer Brothers were trying to invoke specifically it sure, in that sure. whole exchange. But I thought that was pretty cool. I I like no, that yes, a lot. I am I am down with that, and and you're an amazing, brilliant human being for Jaws and sharks. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, so I don't I don't know. So is that? Do you have any more trivial bits? No, I wanted to keep the trivial bits light. Like we said last time with Stranger Things season one, I'm sure that you could annotate episode by episode i'm we're not there's i don't see a ton of worth of us going into that sort of thing because i'm right. sure all that stuff is out there already um yeah they're they're very much into the self-referential 80s pop culture thing um so yeah we'll just we'll just leave it at that so i've got a big pile of overall notes I don't really They're know. probably negative based on your four. I'm so anxious to hear what you have to say about this. Yeah, I've got like six Well, let pages me let me let me uh, sum it up in 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 theory before I get too detailed. I've just listened to our Stranger Things 1 conversation and I am it's uh, this is why I wanted to wait to talk to you until the show cuz I was like I don't want us to start hashing some of this stuff out cuz it'll be fun. Sure. Attack it fresh. Um I am. This is strong language. Mm. The the. It's a family show. Remember. Sure. <laughs> if if you envision my feelings about season one as a pie chart, all right. Okay. About I'm seeing it. Season one. About eighty percent of it, I am in love with. Okay. About fifteen percent of it. So we're up to ninety-five. I'm a little on the fence about. Okay. And about five percent, I find to be question marks that need that are that are that, that I'm I'm still kind of on the fence about. Okay. Um did I just repeat myself? The fifteen percent was stuff I just didn't like, then there's a five percent of eh, I'm not sure. Oh okay. Um, All right, I got you now. You can almost invert that for season two. Really? Wow. Oh this is gonna be such a great so, conversation. I'm so excited. I the gosh, how do I even start this? So like my feelings in so I watched all of season two. I did three episodes and then two, two, two. I finished okay. it on how I finished. Man, I'm just all right. This is for you, my dear friend of twenty years, and this is for listeners who may judge me, but I don't care because I can't hear them while they're listening to us. Um, <laughs> I finished on Halloween night and and wished I was watching other things. Oh no way! I finished yeah. on Halloween night as well, and then uh, well, it's so yeah. Basically, we finished on Halloween night. We kind of we we kind of dozed off at one point and had to pick it back up the next day. But yeah, like 
yeah, basically we culminated at Halloween. Um, but no, I was very, I was very happy about that. I mean, I got an eight, you got don't, a four, so I understand. Don't get, well, don't get too deep, but like compare your general feeling of season one to your general feeling of season two. How would you rate, how would you compare them? So Just, as I mentioned in our, in our last conversation, the, so with season one, I just, I loved it. And as right. listeners will already pick up on for our previous episodes, I defend a lot of what kind of you criticized. That wasn't by, you know, that wasn't uh, a deliberate sort of dynamic. That's just how it happened. I, I liked a lot of the stuff that you had question marks or disliked. I do have more complaints. If I'm building a pie chart, um, Build that for pie. me, so, so me, my pie chart for season two would look very similar to what you just described as your pie chart for season one. Wow. Um, okay. that, that, that I, I would have about, um, you know, maybe 80% of things that I, that I really liked to love about 15% of things that I was just like, I do not like this. This is not good. I do not care for this almost at all. And then about 5% of like, eh, I could be talked one way or another, depending on on what it is. And I'm sure we'll get into that kind of thing. But yeah, that was my pie chart for season two, whereas my pie chart for season one was very much going to be like 95% I love, 5% I'm on the fence about. Nothing that I didn't like. Wow. Of season yep. two. Of season one. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let me re- let me reframe that just again. Season one pie chart, 95% love, 5% on the yes. fence about. Sure, okay. Season two pie chart is 80% I love, 15% I do not like, and 5% I'm on the fence about. Well, and admittedly, before season two started, my pie chart for season one might have had about 85 to 90%. The further I okay. get from season two, the more cracks appear in season one. Um, Interesting. Okay. I know. I know. Here's okay. You don't have to are, apologize for it. We'll I know. I'm not. Oh, I'm not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> here are things I've thought since season two finished. I thought, wow, maybe I am grateful Firefly never had a second season. Whoa. Um, I I think things like, huh. All right. Yep. Should have gone the anthology route. Um, that doesn't surprise me. So I am going to bullet point. So this is getting into details. Can we get into details? Yeah, uh, generally. Right? I mean, over, yes, get, yes. Overalls. Okay. Of overalls. The season. Okay. All right. Sure. These are strong. Put on phrases. your overalls. Okay. I will. They're already on. Um, <laughs> these are a couple of strong statements. I'm I'm open to unpacking them and or just getting your feedback. So strong statement number one: every character is just reacting. Um, I felt there was little proactivity on almost any character's part in the season, uh, which is a troublesome, I don't know if you'll know this feeling or if a listener will know this feeling, man, it is hard. Once you start watching a thing like this, that's like a TV long form kind of material Mm -hmm. and, and the first sort of third ish doesn't capture you. It is so hard to write. Here's the thing, Reed Lackey. I want so bad. To have an 80% pie chart for season two of Stranger Things. No, I'm sure. Yeah. It yeah. just, the, the further it went, the more disheartened and disillusioned I got with it. So wow. every, everyone is just reacting. All the characters are just reacting. This, this one is a, a technical nitpick, though I think it has merit. The CGI is bad, and there's too much of it. Here, hmm. is, a, here is a third. These last two are going to be brazen. There are no rules to the upside down after all, and I'm really pissed about that. And then, and we can talk about all of these uh, if you want. And the last one is, if not just gone longer, Eleven should have stayed dead. Uh, mm. 
is is my sort of Your little strong reaction. statements. Yeah. Um, okay. The so you didn't like. See, this is what's so hard because the things <laughs> I like, I love. Like, oh, I'm sure. I th- yeah, here's sure. the thing: I think the casting is fantastic. I think the. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, whatever. I mean, what is it? So, that's in that's in my fifteen percent. We'll get there, but that's in my fifteen. Well, okay. Let me rephrase that then. Certain aspects of the casting are fantastic. I okay. still have a great fondness for the four core boys. Um, I think the sure. young man. I think the young man who plays Will is fantastic. Um, He's wonderful. David One of the Harbour's, strongest performances of the show. Yeah. yeah. David Harbour is great, as we've spoken. I mm-hmm. liked. Uh, I at least liked the addition. She didn't have a ton of. Uh, range to work with, so I can't criticize her too much. But gosh, I just had her name right here. Um, Max, are you talking about Max? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think she's a good addition to the show. Um, I love Joe Keery. I think he's. I, I think he's great. Uh, Who I think is that he, again? Remind me again. Steve. Um, I think he's sort of a okay. breakout of the series. Let me let me let me interject right here because sure. one of the notes that I have is Steve Harrington is officially my favorite character of Stranger Things. Period. Yeah, I think that's. Um, yeah. They well, you and I, you and I will find places that our pie charts overlap, <laughs> overlap and this is one yes. of them. Yeah, Steve, Steve Harrington, the 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 actor, the performance that he brings yes. to it, what they do with his character, wonderful stuff. I have I have literally no complaints. I've got one small like ah uh, okay, uh, with his character, but for the majority of it, I am just like you know what I I now love this character. I mean, they've pulled almost like a gin from Lost on me, where I'm just like at first sure. in the beginning episodes of season one i didn't like him almost at all by the end of season one and i said this in our episode by the end of season one i love his character this one i'm just like good lord all all steve all the time yes i'll take a steve you know spinoff show from that kf from that kfc scene on down (laughs) to the end that was great it was wonderful yeah it's wonderful so so we so there's a lot to get into with that we can we can do that a little bit later um just just a couple of like uh responses to yours and then i'll 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 hammer into mine I actually dislike the casting of the new people. I should I should qualify that. Obviously, the casting that I loved in season one carries over to love okay. again in season two. But the casting of the new people, uh, I almost and it, I don't blame the actors. I truly I don't. Gonna, blame I was about the to actors. say, yeah, that's that's a question. I was yeah. going to ask that question. Yeah. No, I truly don't blame the actors. I think all of the actors are bringing as much a game as they possibly can. I feel like the conceptualization of the new characters is deeply flawed. We'll get into some of those specifics as we get into episodes. But in general, my broad dislike is... Would you I put... Dislike, hey, out of curiosity, would you put uh, Bob in that camp nope. for yourself? Okay, nope. Okay. Sure, because, I'm just curious who you're referring to specifically. Yeah, so what I was about to say is that just with the exception of Bob Newby, none of the new characters have almost any impact on the primary narrative whatsoever. Bob Newby has a couple of key influences to the main story sure. that, that I think without, without him, you, these things don't happen. Um, but the rest of the kid, Max, like, she's just part of the group. I like her. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, it's fine, but she's just part of the group. Yeah. Uh, Billy, good God, shoot, somebody shoot oh, him in the oh, face. Oh, it's somebody awful. It's awful. Get, him, get rid of him. Um, no offense to the actor. The actor is, uh, is, I think, doing what is being asked of him, but it's right. a very poorly conceived character in my opinion. Well, and um, then and then they give him that one scene in nine that you're like, where was this all season when he's flirting sure. when he's flirting with uh, Will's uh, yeah with yeah 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 Mrs. Wheeler yeah. like yeah that's a it's interesting that's interesting character yeah, work it's interesting what you've sure. given us up to now could not be consult confused 
for interesting by any stretch. Anyway. Abs- absolutely, absolutely. Um, feels a very generic character, oh very superficial, God, shallow character. Um, so yeah, don't like him almost at all. Uh, again, no ding against the actor. I think the actor does fine with what he's given to work with. Um, and then also like uh, Paul Reiser's character, Doctor Sam Owens. Yeah. Like, one slight little note at the end that I really liked, but for the most part, he's just a Hawkins lab, yep. you know, fill in. Um, so, so yeah, that's my big ding against the season with its new characters is the new characters don't really drive the action. Uh, I'll mention in season, in episode one, when we get there, kind of some specifics about that, but yeah, they just barely changed the overall story. Murray has a very small impact on the end. Who's and Murray? Bot- uh, Murray is the guy, the conspiracy theorist that they oh, go to, that Jonathan yeah. and Nancy go to. Yeah. So he has a very small impact on the end. And Bob, Bob's Bob's in it. Like Bob is a new character. They give yep. him life. They yep. give him nuance. They they do well with Bob. But with the exception of Bob, the rest of the new characters are basically plastic uh, inserts that I, that I really wish they had done some different things with. I already mentioned how I love Steve. I do I do really kind of love, if not love, really like the dynamic between Hopper and Eleven. Like, I, I really like that they yes. took the show there. Yes. Um, I, that would I also love... be in my 15%. The, yeah, the, I... the material the two of them have together is... Absolutely. To me, possibly the strongest stuff of the season. Eas- easily one of my, you know, top three favorite sort of elements of the new season is Hopper and Eleven. Uh, really, really strong stuff. Love... Uh, uh, the the actor's name is Noah Schapp, I think is his name, but the actor who plays Will... Good Lord, uh, that kid is delivering a powerhouse performance. He's almost outshining everybody around him, and that's saying something. But uh, So I love him. And then, with the exception of a couple of moments I'll mention when we get into episodes, with the exception of a couple of specific moments, I really struggle with how disconnected Elle is from the main part of the of the season. One kickback I was going to give, which is a very small kickback, is ironically even though I struggle with how disconnected she is from the main plot, the one character I would say is definitively not reactive is Eleven. Eleven is not reactive at all. She is making everything happen. She's the one who ventures out and breaks the rules. She's the one sure, who hunts down sure. her mom. She's the one who hunts down her lost sister. Like She is very proactive, but she's the only... I would agree with you about every other character just simply reacting to the things that are coming into them. But Eleven is not reactive at all. Eleven is making things happen. And unfortunately, that plot line is some of the weakest material in the season. So yes. so I struggle with that a little bit. But I do. I wouldn't call and her see, character I, reactive. Yes. And this this is where we mutually agree that our any kickback is merely a reflection of academic uh, disagreement <laughs> and not uh, personal offense. Um, see, I would, I would say... I agree with what I think you're trying to say about Eleven. I still think there is so little her story yields to this to the overall that is not either a new or b worth it. Um, sure, sure. To to me, she feels like we've got to keep her off the table. You your comment about her being disconnected, and this is what I wrote down as a general. She is the show's Deus Ex Machina, and that's really annoying and really frustrating because when you've got the character that can do anything, uh, okay, okay, within reason in the world of this show, she is the trump card. She is the one who's going to save the day. So she has to be off the table the whole time because they would have solved the problem, whatever it is, um, much earlier. Because her visit to her mom, man, ugh, when they start, the I zoned out through that whole thing, right. Because there's nothing yeah. of value to it. When <laughs> I won't say nothing they, of value, but yeah, yeah. Rewatch it when they <laughs> when they when they start the season. 
there's there's such a fine line between blowing your world out, you know, like like expanding the world you've created and having purpose in doing so. When they hmm. started and showed that off-site, off-Hawkins scene and it reveals the 008, I thought, oh, I already don't like that. Like, I don't need to know really? this. I don't need to know this information. It is not pertinent to um, what I think is interesting about this show. Because hmm. here's, here is one thing I did write down. I do want to unpack some. This is going to be a long conversation. Um, it's going to be where, two episodes. We're fine. Where the show sings is, and however faulty of logic I feel like requires us to get there, some of the best work of the season is the kids with Steve in the underground stuff towards the end. Because that show, it, it gave a vision for what Stranger Things could be. And, and what I think at its best it is. It's this sort of club of kids experiencing wild and, and, and fascinating and supernatural phenomena. Sure. That's sure. a pretty cool premise that you could do some stuff with. Um, yeah. Okay. And that's yeah, yeah. So let me glance at my notes real quick. Well, um, I have one. I have one yeah, thing to yeah, say yeah, about because, like, one thing, and I will speak in general about this more in detail when we get to the the you know elephant in the room of episode seven. But one one big miss, I think. I so here's exactly what I heard when you when you spoke that the moment that they revealed the zero zero eight, you said I already don't like this. Right? That was your reaction. I, I did have negative feelings in reaction to it, yes. Automatically. So I had an opposite reaction, and I would have said, were we like live-tweeting this or something? I would have said, hey, you're misjudging the show prematurely, but you weren't misjudging the show prematurely. One of the things that I think was a big misstep on the season's part is they introduced them immediately. Right. Right, right away, and we don't see them again for like six episodes, and they hold no bearing on the primary plot. You mentioned Eleven being a deus ex machina. One of my big sort of notes to it is that if Callie, if Eight, had been more instrumental in the conclusion of the main plot, I would have felt a little bit better about it all. Like if Eleven's journey to go find her and then she comes back with Eleven to help dispel the big bad, then, then I'm a little bit more on board with it. But the fact that you show them right up top and then we do get a whole episode with them, but it's you know late in the game and has no real bearing on the on the main plot. I feel like that was the big misstep, not introducing them, but doing so little with them. I feel like they now that they know Stranger Things is a cultural phenomenon, we're gonna get four seasons. What I feel like they're doing is I feel like they're setting up somewhere that they're gonna go in season three or season four, and I feel like okay, fine if you're gonna do that because you're playing the long game, but it really does hurt the story you're telling right now like it it does hinder or or negatively impact what you're trying to do with this with this story because here's here is a here is something that and and we can unpack in more detail when we get to episode seven the lost sister the lost episode it should have been called but oh we're gonna you're gonna love me in in that episode when that episode happened reed and this is why the zero zero eight scene bothered me so much is because suddenly this show that in its first season had such a sort of specialness because of its core cast and because our focus was on them and their misadventures, when you blow this world out a little bit, it suddenly, this is me, it feels like everything else. It's suddenly, oh, it's it's a show about 
X, it's the X-Men as youngsters. Huh. I don't care about these people because this is a story I've seen every genre piece of material that's kind of out there. It's where it kind okay. of goes. And so it really annoyed me that that was the opening scene because I don't know where this was. I was listening to this recently, but it was talking about TV shows, maybe in the podcast or stuff I listened to. Talking about TV shows and how a TV series will, regardless of what came before it, a TV series will end with what the creator wants you to think about the show. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, the while the strength of that statement can't be applied to the opening scene of a show, you can soften that statement a little bit and say, okay, what are you trying to tell me? Here is, here is my, a, a sort of summary feeling about what I experienced with season two is I lost a lot of respect for the Duffers. It felt like, Dang, dude. it felt like characters I really like, being thrown into nonsensical situations that had very little internal logic to them. Um, hmm. I am, let's unpack this for a minute. I'm extremely annoyed, disheartened. It, I don't, this is, you're getting a lot. Everybody's getting, they're like, damn, Nathan's like feeling it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I would watch, I will, and, and I probably will watch the show until its end. More now because I like the characters than because I believe in the strength of the the spine of the show. What I mean by that is the production value is fantastic. I still love that stupid opening theme song. Like I oh, love, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love the the touch. I love I love the feel. I love the vibe. In season two, I got oppressed with the number of obvious. My grace towards the callouts was exhausted. I said, oh, gremlins, oh, aliens, oh, the exorcist, right, oh, right. Carrie, oh, the warriors, oh. Like, it felt like, for the first time, my ability to enjoy the show got lost because of a huge something that is huge to me. And that is the, the upside down no longer makes any sense to me. And if you hmm. can't, to me, this is my interpretation of what I got out of season two. The rules of the upside down are just simply we want cool imagery and monsters. It is not. Um, it just. The more I process this, I was like, it doesn't. There's no. It doesn't make any sense. She opens this gate in season one. Cool. I'm down with you. Yeah. It's it's funny having just listened to these podcasts because I loosely reference what I didn't know was going to annoy the hell out of me in season two. When I look back at season one. I am bothered by the little portals, the little sub portals, even more now because you know what I'm talking about like in the woods. Yeah. 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 Um, mm -hmm. the, the little entrance point. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. the Demogorgon's ability to kind of, uh, cross dimensions at will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that is, that is, that is a rough sketch of what we get in season one. Well, then season two happens and, I am already, okay, here's a question for you, a very specific question. And this is, could be under the episodes, but it matters to this part of the conversation and my beef with the upside down. Do you interpret Dart in his polywog state as what Will coughed up? Not at all. And I think the show is in deep error because it called back that scene. Because uh, I disagree with that, but I want you to flesh well, out your thought. Well, 
here's another complaint with the season. There's too many flashbacks for a show that's so easily accessible. We don't need all the flashbacks. Flashbacks in season one to a character's story and how they got where they are is valuable. When you're in the middle of a, a nine episode season and you're flashing back a dozen times over the course of those nine episodes to material that is readily available just a season ago, it starts to feel like you don't trust me as a viewer or you don't trust yourself as a storyteller to deliver on the emotional stakes you're going after. So when you, when, hmm, when, when Dustin, finds, I felt entirely oppositely, cool. but I think it was just a feeling, right? When Dustin finds the polywog and immediately we are shown a flashback of Will coughing it up mm-hmm. to me, I don't, for a show that is so about the call outs, I don't know how that's not supposed to be suggestive that that's meant to be the same one. No, 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 no. Well, let me let me interject yeah, here real quick. Please. You you finally got your wish. There's like dozens I knew you were of gonna, them. You're going to say that too. I There's dozens of too. them now. Right, so right. and and some of them are full grown. Like when you asked me point blank, do I think that's the specific one that will coughed out? The reason I said so definitively no is because clearly they grow. So and I don't get the impression from season one, I didn't get the impression when I watched season one that that's the only time he's done that. That that him going and vomiting that up is not a singular experience. So, I got the impression that that was like an infection that he had, that he was that he was constantly vomiting up these things. And so if 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 I'm right, which I don't know if I'm right, but if I'm right, then that would mean ostensibly that like that's that's happening periodically over time and yeah dart may have been one that he coughed up but not necessarily the one he coughed up at christmas time in season one like a year earlier that time jump would have been too illogical right it is yeah it's definitely makes no sense uh that if if that were to be the case and but but see even if i give and i want to i want to say uh, clearly that's not the same one do you nathan do you no, oh i <laughs> i do trust me if there's anyone other than you this show is sort of in the wheelhouse of it's me but when you do like and it's funny cuz i knew well nathan you wanted more of the things well yeah i did but not that that was so this show can't win with you nathan <laughs> no no it could have it could have i'm kidding but when that scene happens i wanted to throw the remote i was like this really does, this does not make sense but like, why like like sincerely like unpack why it doesn't make any sense to you and i'm listening i'm not gonna well argue. because okay well let's go with the notion that will has been coughing up these little polywogs for the course of a year well all of them at we're i think we're meant to presume these are going to at their full growth be demogorgons yes um there's no chance that there wouldn't be full-grown ones. Uh, but there are. So, no, no, they're all the dog things until the end when they're climbing up out of the pit that Harbor is just staring at. Right. I think, I think what I'm trying to say is Eleven closing the gate at the end, it doesn't even matter. These things can get over. Like what? And then by the end of the season... We're at the snowball, but the upside down has melted into the real world in the underground, but we're not really worried about that. Where are all these dog things coming from that if was it did Will cough all of these up? There's what? There's like dozens of them. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so so I 
things that you have question marks about with zero effort on my part, not knowing your questions, I just thought very differently about them. So like, for instance, you just made a comment about the upside down blending into the other world. I, I, I sincerely don't get that interpretation from the final scene of the, of the season, the upside down that, that it's blended into. No, 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 no. But half of the season is about the upside down has now infiltrated the real world underground. Yes. Right. So because the gate was never shut because uh, the gate was never shut. Well, the gate, the gate was never like when Eleven disappeared. She, right. she, and they, they show it. They show the flashback where when Eleven disappeared, right, she right, didn't right. die. She didn't disintegrate. Right. She went into the upside down. But she not only had opened that original gate, letting that original Demogorgon out, but then she escapes into the real world through by enlarging another one. And so, like, you know, so she, I get what you're saying about like, oh, there's all these different potholes to the inside out, but they, they are all. Collect- collectively kind of like a hive consciousness like it's 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 basically like an infection that has gotten out of control so the the break in the space of 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 space time between the upside down and the real world has this is my interpretation sure that it has now come to be an infection a rot as they call it that moves along underground and that's how these little these little sort of bursts up into it like for instance when hopper finally this is again getting into episodes but when hopper like finally goes down into it right right my my note at that point which we'll bring up when we get there is hopper's in the upside down he's not gone like like he's not gone through some you know slimer gate but he's in the upside down at that point because at that point now that part has has more or less taken over so in my view the and and we will get into this kind of like the Will's body thing all over again, but we're going to get into this when we get into themes. But I do think it is significant that the gate was never shut, and that 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 being the big sort of moment when that gate is finally shut, what happens to all of those demodogs that are in the same space as them? They fall. They they just completely collapse. And so what that tells me, if I'm looking at the story you know, kind of with a little bit of distance, what that tells me is something about that gate being open is what was fueling their presence to begin with. It was, and that this mind flayer, this, what I called him was the shadow spider before episode eight. And I realized he was called a mind flayer. So this thing, unlike the demodogs, which are kind of like just mindless sentries, this mind flayer is an intentional sort of malevolent being with plans and with, and, and so his whole thing, I'm calling it a he, it, right, right, right. It's thing is I'm going to invade the upside down. I'm going to invade it by these, these pathways. You mean the right side up or the the real, Oh, the right side up. Yeah. Sorry. The right side up. Cause it's from the upside down. Right. Right. I'm going to invade the right side up with these pathways, with these demodogs. That's how I'm going to get in there and I'm going to emerge into the real world. And his connective tissue, his connective point is Will. Will, having sure. been in the upside down, coming back from it, but having spent so much time in it that it has infected him, Will is his tether to the upside down. Right. So, so he uses Will as his, as his connecting point, that that's how he you know, is going to expand his territory, as it were, into the right side up. What he intends to do there, I'll go with you. They don't really define. It's a malevolent intention, clearly. But but that, to me, was the interpretation of the whole sort of thrust of the villainy of the show, is that this thing, this creature, is... So that's why he's... I'll go ahead and, I'll go ahead and say something that I'm bringing to the show. I think the Mind Flayer is the one making Will cough them up. That when he needs another one or wants another one, he 
pushes, if you will, will to cough up another one. And that because we know for a fact that the infection is still inside Will, well then what does the Mind Flayer want to do? The Mind Flayer wants to, in, in, in the very beginning, Will, Will is asked, did he want to hurt you? This thing that you saw, did he want to hurt you? And Will says, not me, everyone else. And right. that, for me, that clued me in on like, oh. And I said the, 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 the very first time I heard that line, I was like, oh crap, this thing wants to use Will to burn the world. That's what this thing wants to do. It wants to, using Will as a kind of a keyhole, wants to get in to the rest of things. And that flavored my view of the whole rest of what came after it. So, I mean, we can get into it. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's the appropriate time if you want to. Um, I had some general thoughts of scares, um, but maybe now we can, can start. Unless you had more that you wanted to specifically unpack, maybe <laughs> now we could kind of could kind of get into. I mean, we can keep speaking in generalities for as long as you want to, or we can start diving into episode by episode and sort of hashing out interpretations. I will say, my only the only thing that I put as a general scare is that I think the mind flayer design and concept is terrifying. The I called it the shadow spider for a while, but I don't think we necessarily see enough of it. We see like three or four really great shots of it um all of which unfortunately were in the trailers i think but the um when it's on screen i think it's it's horrifying i think it's a terrifying concept of a being of a thing um and so yeah so that was my only big sort of general scare but i defer to you mr nathan rouse we can stay in generalities if you want or we can start diving into into particulars i don't know yeah let's uh it's funny i even wrote down today i was like even things like the electricity in season one is meant to suggest the upside down interacting with the real right Right. exactly yeah Mm -hmm. well then the only the only time to my recollection the electricity happens in season two is when eleven's mom is mentally discharging or whatever Mm -hmm. and i was like this yeah um but i would i would say in response to that that there's a lot more like it, it has spread. So because it has spread, uh, I, I will I will actually not even disagree with you. Like the fact that there's few to none call outs to that whole electricity thing. I get it. Somebody dinging the show for that. I would agree. I'm not even going to defend that part of it. But for me, it's just like the intention is kind of moved beyond that. The intention of this thing, this mind flare, whatever it is to move beyond that has already, it's already gained so much power and it's already gained so much influence as it were, you know, it's, it's just moved on from those sort of parlor tricks as it were. Um, but I, I, I do agree. It's like the fact that they didn't do more with the electricity thing. Like I kind of understand, but well, and, and hear me, I, I'm not, I'm not asking for the electricity stuff. It just felt inconsistent to, um, what they presented in season one. Uh, Honestly, like if if there wasn't such a giant like I your comment about will possibly consistently copying these things up, like I even want to buy in on that. The time jump bothers me for that argument. Like it, why? It, I don't because of I'm because not trying to of, be a jerk. Like I mean I want to just you do explain. because of the state in which we see these things when they all appear. I don't know. It just there was to to me, there felt like a lot of convenience. Um, in terms of storytelling going on. In fact, something I wrote down, I feel like the show wants to explain what it shouldn't and doesn't explain what it should. 
and, and expand a, on that in a number of places. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm an idiot, but you're not an idiot. You've got, you've got, well, I know that, but I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, like I want to recognize potential options, uh, for <laughs> my feelings on this show, but the, you you mentioned Paul Reiser's character. Mm-hmm. It annoyed the hell out of me. Oh, so you're just a good guy, scientist guy. Um, it like you, in, in other words, it just felt like let's flip flop who Matthew Modine was. So in terms of what the show wants to explain that it shouldn't is things like epi- the entirety of episode seven. Things that I feel like it should is it's weird to me at this point that there isn't I, as someone who hates the. Merovingian scene in Matrix 2 or 3 or whichever one it is. You know, this big expository monologue that explains all the things. I'm not asking for that specifically. But I'm asking for the characters who are studying the Upside Down to sort of like talk about it a little bit. As opposed to just sort of like not. What I mean too by... So for instance, in season one, you've got the Steve Marquis, movie Marquis scene, right? Sure, right, right, right. So much character work, as we discussed in season one, is done with that scene. But in season two, I know it's an easy target. I get that. But then you've got episode seven, which feels like such a misguided choice. Like, I well, don't, let's, let's talk yeah, about yeah, episode seven when well, we get there. Jump, yeah. Um, yeah, so this, here's, here's one positive note, then we're going to jump into the thing. I love how they redeemed Lucas's role. Lucas is great in season two. I love that he gets the girl. Um, he's mm-hmm. got some good stuff going on. So let's jump into... Mad Max. So, so, so overall, before we before we make a definitive sort of transition, because this may be where this episode concludes, and you know, chapter two coming out next. Um, so, before we make a definitive transition, so four out of ten for what you were kind of hoping for for the show. Do you have any general thoughts that wouldn't be in in a big episode? Like you said, they explain things they don't really need to, and don't explain things you feel like they want to. Is that the statement you made? Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there is there one big note that you would add that you would say like okay, definitively using what they've got, this would have made the show like quote unquote better if they had done this. Like, do you have like a note like that to to sort of wrap a bow on that conversation? If you don't have one, that's fine. I was just kind of thinking like a you know a nice little transition point. Sure. Um. I mean, I think if they could have just you know, tethered season one to season two a little more. Like it, it, it is clearly, it doesn't, the the way the upside down functions, even with what feels like a reasonably compelling statement you just made or sequence of statements you just made about your version of what you saw of the upside down. I feel like a lot of season two is we're putting this on screen because we like the movie we're referencing and we think it will look cool. I don't even know if I'm well, answering the question you just asked me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so well, you said your answer to my question was if they had tethered it more to season one, which I find interesting because I feel like my criticisms revolve around that they are too beholden to season one. Um, that well, and when I say, that sure, worked. oh, yes, it's very repetitive, uh, season two is. I just mean the what feels like they did with the upside down in season one. I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say. I don't mean the narrative or thematic things to should connect more i just mean the 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 execution of the upside down at this particular juncture in time 
is hard for me to wrap my head around and doesn't quite work for me. And sure. In what so, I've seen. so before we, okay. So yeah, I've, I've got a question for you. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there like a grenade in a backpack. Yeah. And then, and then we'll dive into some episodes. Yeah. I hear you and understand you, you, you struggle with the lack of definition for upside down and rules and stuff like that. If you need a minute, to answer this very shotgun you were you we did no pre-brief um why are you so antagonistic towards the upside down in this and you and i both are so mutually defending of the island in lost what is it about the difference between the two shows where the art because the arguments that you're making about the upside down i have heard so many times i'm nauseous about the island in lost that you know the rules are not explained they're not consistent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what I'm trying to scratch at right now is what is it about Stranger Things that's missing for you that Lost allows you to sort of roll with the fact that the rules are not really laid out, that the the I's are not all dotted, the T's are not all crossed, that the cookies are not on the bottom shelf. What is it about Stranger Things that's missing for you that would help you sort of sort of get there, if you will? And I don't know that I'll have the answer, obviously. I didn't sure. Like the show. Well, this is a knee-jerk response. Um... I think one with Lost, they flirted with mystery the first half of the series, and then it started to get wild, right? I mean, that's when people started jumping shit. Is not you know not you or I, but like it, when people complain about the genre elements of Lost, it's uh, spoiler alert: it's time traveling island, it's whispers and whatnot. You know what I mean, like. It's once they started throwing, yeah, it's once they started throwing the heavy genre stuff at you. Well, by that point in time, we're very bought in on those characters. And so I think for me, Stranger Things, and and here's here's an attempt at an answer, because that is a big question. My apologies. No, it's okay. You you, uh, eloquently one time summed up an assessment of the finale of lost season three. Um, we have to go back with, Oh my gosh, these characters are just as what off the Island as they are on it. Lost. Right. Right. That's a, that's, Mm -hmm. that is a, that is a character element. That is a sure. Right. That sort of vibe and feeling that threads all of lost, because I would even agree with someone who might say, I, I, struggle a little bit with some of the the wackiness of lost i would say well i still love the, the wackiness by the time it starts to reveal itself doesn't bother me because i'm so bought in on everything else sure sure i understand with stranger things to me they have not done quite enough with the character stuff for me to and, and because the whole show or a lot of the show is about that vibe. It's about that zeitgeist. It's about that sort of cultural feeling they're trying to create. And so that's what they're leaning on. Largely as expressed through, at least in the narrative, the upside down and what it is and what it means and what it does. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's makes any sense whatsoever. It's, it's a very, and here's the thing. It's, it's funny you ask that because 
for some reason recently I was pondering this. Maybe it was in relation to Stranger Things too. I don't remember. But I think you've seen probably two interviews with Lindelof about Lost where he says as, as the production of broadcast TV started to overlap with peak TV, peak cable TV, he would often get asked, do you wish you had been able to make it in like an HBO type of setting? You know, right, shorter right, exactly. seasons. And he's actually said, no, I actually think ultimately the broadcast form worked better for our series. Hmm. Yeah. And, and in my assessing, again, this may have actually been mental imaginings related to watching Stranger Things too. It might have been harder to buy in on Lost if you had truncated it all down to a very fine point uh, and leaned super heavy, super early on the wackiness and wildness of the island. I'm just conjecture. I'm just conjecturing. Sure. No. That, yeah. This is exactly what I asked for. And 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 I what I was going to say is I have a feeling that your answer kind of in 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 broad strokes is that. Stranger Things didn't have the time to invest you that, yes. that Lost did. Yes. So, so that's that a very because... that's a much more concise way. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate your uh, your is it Aaron to Moses or Moses to Aaron? Yeah. Oh, you know sure. what I'm yeah, saying. Yes, 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 yes. I know exactly what you mean. Um, but yeah, that that basically it's just a, it's a matter of time that that they have they established something in eight episodes. So I would so you know I would for me I I roll very easily with the mystery that is at the heart of this. I roll very easily with the questions. Like all I really need, whether it's lost stranger things, any other sort of mystery saturated show, all I really need is make your intention clear. And if your intention is at least clear enough for me to sort of go with you, then I don't, I don't need your rules. So like if your intention is clear, if your intention is, is, is at least overt enough that I can pick up on it, then I'm good to go. And I don't need to understand how everything works. Uh, I don't need to understand. Like, for instance, your criticism earlier is that the Upside Down has no rules. I would blatantly reject that statement. I love you, but, like, I would blatantly reject that statement. I just don't think we're given the rules. And that's a perfectly valid complaint. We're not given the rules. But I, I am also comfortable with people saying, like, well, why does the funny light at the bottom of the well turn people into a smoke monster? I don't know. It just does. You know, like it's one of those things where I was like, I don't know how it works, but it just does. And I'm and I'm okay with people saying like, Oh, this is just how this thing works. So for me as a story, you know, absorber, if you can give me if you can make clear to me your intention, I'll forgive all kinds of you not explaining to me why when I flip the light switch on the lights come on. Like I'll I'll forgive all of that. But other people depending on the dynamic of the show, really need those elements. They really need, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody saying like, hey, you know, I, I need, where I where I would struggle is if somebody were to say like, uh, like, you know, spoiler alert for Lost. When people say like, oh, they were just dead the whole time. I'm like, you didn't pay attention to the show. Right. Like, if, if, if you say they're dead the whole time, you didn't pay attention to the show. But if you walk away saying, I really wish they had dove more into the science stuff and not gone into all the mythology. Okay, fair. Totally fair. I understand. Um, that's not the show that they chose to make, and it didn't work for you, and that's totally fine. So with something like Stranger Things, you know, somebody comes and says, like, oh, I really wish they would have done this with the Upside Down instead, or I really wish that they would have done this with this character instead. I'm probably not going to kick back to any of those things. I will like or dislike what they did, but I'm probably not going to kick back against that. But I will just sort of like brush up against a kickback, if not blatantly, you know, sort of dismiss 
it's not that there are no rules. It's just I don't think we're given them, and that's the that's, well, and that's the problematic that's, element. Well, yeah, and uh, I don't want a monologue, but when and and while your explanation goes a little distance to iron some of the wrinkles out, to me still, and and don't ask me at ten o'clock on a on a Wednesday night to explain <laughs> all of them. I think there's enough inconsistencies that are bothersome to me um, about the execution that it unplugs me a bit from my affection. And it was, and it is slash was real for the upside down concept. Um, And, and, and you make an interesting point about in terms of lost having the time. I said this to my wife at the end of maybe at the end of the season, definitely at the end of episode seven. I said episode seven reveals a lot about the problem of the Netflix model. If there is, you know, I'm not saying it is inherently problematic, but all formats are going to have sort of restrictions and limitations. Well, in this new era of the nine hour movie, as opposed to a 24 episode season of X-Files or a 23 episode season of Lost, if you're giving me 24 episodes of a thing, I am ready and fine with five to seven ish of those episodes being just kind of mediocre. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not the 23 episode movie kind of idea. Well, what you get when you have eight and nine episodes and the nine episode on the nine hour movie is when you deviate from that format, it has to land, right? And so, sure, sure. So when it doesn't, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah, I get it. Anyway, I get it. Yeah. So I feel so, like I'm, so. Feel okay. Like I'm, so yeah, it's it's absolutely time for us to get into some some main episodes. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, tune in next week. Uh, we'll we'll get into all of that. Those are some of our broad. When Reed and thoughts. Nathan will end up duking it out on the psionic plane <laughs> on the astral plane. Um, exactly exactly so uh so yeah so check us out next week and we'll dive more into some episodes those are just some of our general thoughts on on stranger things season two Getting into, like, let's just go episode by episode, and I definitely don't want to shortchange themes. If there's anything that I'll self-referential, I feel like maybe with season one we kind of breezed through themes because we had we had talked so much about them. I definitely don't want to do that here, so let's we'll try to keep it at a clipped pace, but let's dive into some specific episode beats. Um, episode one, Mad Max. Let, let's hit up just some likes, dislikes, scares. Uh, if you want to you know, set the stage for any thematic notes, then you can certainly feel free to do that. But um, I'll lead the way on episode one, if you don't mind, and then I'll sort of bounce back and forth with who leads the way. Um, So as I mentioned before, I really liked the opening until I realized watching the season that that opening had no real strong relevance to the plot as a whole. And then in retrospect, I think they should have opened with something a little different. Um, I do love the relationship that Dustin has with his mom. Like yeah, yeah, when yeah. they That's when great. when they make little like laughs at each other, or they're like, ah, eh, right. you know, like it's it, it it's really funny. Um, well, like we I, mentioned, 
with Joe Curie, I mean, I think uh, Glenn Matarazzo, Matarazzo, um, I think he's another standout, you know, excellent cast member who just kind of steals every scene he's in. Sure, sure. Um, I did write that, like, I didn't initially trust Bob. Uh, I don't think my wife and I, either one of us really initially trusted Bob. We thought like, oh man, he's going to be some sort of weird, like double agent, or he's infiltrated from Hawkins lab to kind of get into the buyer's family or whatever. Um, but like, like we mentioned with Steve and Hopper last season, uh, the show made me love him. The show made me get really affectionate towards him. Some of that is Sean Astin. Uh, some of that's just where they take the character. But so then the only other major like that I have is, I didn't know. I knew that L and Hop that L was going to still be around, but I didn't know she would be straight up living with Hopper. So I really liked that reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a feeling based on our few text messages from episode one that you didn't, but I'm not going to let you. I'm going to let you die. No, into no, that. no. I, um, no. I I don't mind that conceit. What I minded and what you're referencing via the text conversation was. You know, when 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 a piece of media, movie, TV, book, what have you, presents something as surprising that really is not surprising at all, um, you know, episode one ends with what's sort of propped up editing wise as this this you know, oh my god, you know, it, it just wasn't surprising at all that sure, she was in sure. there. Um, but no, I mean, like I said last week, I think um, the Hopper Eleven relationship is one of the strongest components of the series, not just the season two. Oh, I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, for me, with season one, so episode one, you mean? Yeah, yes, that's so funny. You're doing what I did last totally. time. <laughs> Do you know what's funny? If you go back and listen to that those episodes. We bring it up, and then immediately you do it again. It's really funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I did love, like, you and I have had random conversations about this over the years, but I, I don't know your backstory with this kind of thing. Like, seeing them at the arcade, man, growing up, I had this buddy, shout out Lucas Schaefer, who I'd hang out with him on the weekends, and his dad would drop us off at the mall. And we had this arcade in our mall called Diamond Gems. Any Columbus folk, you, you remember the hmm. Diamond Gems. And he would hook us up with, you know, a bunch of quarters or whatever. Man, I loved that feeling. So that was a very evocative. Sure. Although, yeah. it's, although it is interesting, like, I know it feels like it, this isn't the case, but I know it feels like I'm just looking for things to crap on with Stranger Things too. But it was interesting. I kind of missed the D&D. Sure. Yeah. There's no D and D in the you know, uh, um, show. Well, I mean, it shows up at the end with the mind flayer sort of convenience factor, but um, only referentially. Right. 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 But I kind of missed that component, and I was like, "Oh, video games. We're so alone together." And anyway, I, I missed uh, this. Yeah. I missed the the image of them and and that sort of camaraderie that comes from it. Um, sure. Sure. I understand. Uh, Sean Aston is great. Uh, the episode one is the episode of Steve and I believe Nancy is there too. Are they at, yeah, they're at Barb's parents' house. Figure looking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great, that scene alone, it's like, okay, you're the man. I love you. He's he's great. He's got some great deliveries. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the only scare I have for episode one is, um. Well, I have one major dislike. Oh, okay. Go ahead, please. Please, I Billy feel like I'm the only one. No, no, no. Billy and his dumb hair bugged me from the moment he stepped out of the car. Like, there's going to be a theme, listeners. 
As we reference any episode and any scene involving Billy, I'm gonna rail on it because I because I feel like that character actor. Goodness gracious! I know I feel bad for that actor because I feel like he's got a lot of talent and he's he's you know I mean he's 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 bringing you know a, a verisimilitude to the role. But man, that's just such a crappy character. I think that character is just awful. I think that character is very uh, superficial and shallow, and we'll get into why as we get into there. But from the moment that I saw him, I was like, "What is going on with this guy? I already don't like this guy." And then the show just cemented for me as the time went on why I don't like this guy. Uh, if, if, if for some strange reason, uh, some Stranger Things reason, the actor ever listens to this, I genuinely do not feel like it's the actor's fault. I feel like it's a very poorly conceived character. But um, but yeah, so uh, go forward with your scares. I only have one. Oh, I was just saying the, the buyer's house door opening in Will's vision was very creepy. Oh, yeah, man. When we finally see that big... I, call, I called him the shadow spider throughout all of the season until they finally you know, revealed that they called him a mind flayer. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a really creepy shot. Um, very, very effective scare wise, which, uh, which brings us, unless you have some other things to say, but I will say this, uh, about that, uh, about that overall episode, a a good uh, kind of okay to good, uh, setup episode, but really not much more to it than that. Just sort of a, an official sort of setup episode. Yeah. In fact, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I've got two, two separate notes. One says whole lot of setup. The other note right. says the other note says lots of setup. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which brings us to episode two, where I feel like that uh, doesn't quite play out, and that's Trick or Treat Freak. Um, so why don't you lead the way on likes dislikes with Trick or Treat Freak? Sure, I do have some. Um, I do love, and to me, one of the stronger metaphors for. Will's experience. I love the Will and Mike conversation about the Viewmaster. Um, oh yes, oh you know, yes. It's a, it's just a really that. it's a really strong choice of images. Uh, I love Dustin's confusion about being called presumptuous. Um, <laughs> He's like, that's good, right? This is where my utter dislike of Billy shows up. Uh, I, I I think maybe in the first episode. I was willing to give a little grace because I'm like, okay, let's see where this goes. And whatever, I don't know the scene that is in episode two, but whatever is in episode two. Oh, he almost runs it, over the boys and he's bullying Max while he does it. Like he's oh, bullying her. Right, right, and right. he almost runs over the boys and it's ridiculous. Yes. Well, there you go. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I'm glad I'm not the only one passionate about I hate him wrong so with darn much, man. Um, oh. <laughs> you sounded like such a dude on a Christian podcast. I hate him so darn much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm trying to try to watch it. Try to curb it. It's all right. It's all right. Let it out, brother. Um, this episode is where the CGI element of the upside down really started to stand out for me. I don't remember what actually happens, but and you know what's funny? You you and talking about Beyond Stranger Things, one of the ones I watched talks about the season one Demogorgon being uh, uh, an actor in a suit. And I was like, mm. of course it is. That's why it looks so much better. Um, I, right, I just, right. I, I really struggled with most of the CGI in season two. Um, okay. This is the one with the Ghostbuster scene. I like how you're like, okay, yeah, Nathan, your opinion on the Upside I'm Down. I'm not dismissing Is, is well like established it. and wrong. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> if you are, I will say though, if you are referring by CG to, to this is the moment when Will sees the mind flayer coming up out of the the like it looks like he's rising up from the ground right, and right. rising up into the sky. Um, 
for I don't, me, I don't, I don't think it was that, but go ahead. Oh, because it because I loved that scene. Right. That's that's one of the freakiest things that the show has ever delivered for me, to the point that where I live, there is a field next to us, not a, a huge field, but you know maybe about an acre, and there's some power lines, there's some power towers out in this field, to the point that that night after I watched that, I took the garbage out, and when I took the garbage out, I looked up at that power tower and I said, nope, nope, going back, going back, and like it genuinely sort of like freaked me out that that image was in my head of this thing like rising up and coming after him so yes that scene like genuinely sort of unnerved me um i think for me it was probably uh, my guess is this might have been yeah this was the scene the first time you got some backstory on 11 it cuts to her waking up in the upside down um it just felt very cgi heavy so no i was not referring to the mind flare um I love she's watching Frankenstein in the cabin. I know. That's, that was fun. a nice touch. I liked that touch. Um, what uh, what scares do you have for? So, well, I have a couple break. of likes, dislikes. Okay, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I wrote a couple of notes. The first one that I wrote was uh, when there's something stranger in the neighborhood, who are you going to call? Yeah? No. I, I see that face. <laughs> you want to laugh. You want to laugh. <laughs> that, very, that very solemn face of... So and I and I uh, I made another note. I said hashtag justice for Winston. Like they're all arguing about that was funny. People not wanting to be Winston. Um, said everybody wanting to be Vankman. I mean, yeah, we all kind of want to be Vankman, but that doesn't mean Winston was like you know I love Ernie Hudson. Like is, Van- is Vankman Bill Murray? Vankman's Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah everybody wants to be Vankman. Right. But right. Um, and then the other note that I wrote down is I said Bob is such a dork, and then I put dot dot dot, and I said. I am so Bob. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like he's sitting there dressed as a vampire. He's like, I hope it doesn't suck. I'm like, that is such a thing that I would say. And yes, that is, uh, uh, yeah, I, I just I just need to own that. Also, evidently, I'm not only Bob, but I'm also Dustin. Um, we'll get into why as we get to, you know, to the finale. But uh, Three Musketeers is also my favorite candy bar. So, uh, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm with them on that. When they were sitting there arguing about, like, oh, Three Musketeers is so dumb. I'm like, I love Three Musketeers. Three Musketeers is my favorite candy bar. Nougat. So, uh, and, and this is one thing that they mentioned uh, specifically in the Beyond Stranger Things sort of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff um, is uh, I do love... Again, getting back to Hopper and L's relationship, it's such a such a kind of a dad thing to do for him to go in there and and he totally promised her, like completely blatantly broke to broke a promise to her to be back on time so they could eat candy and watch movies. And so then when he doesn't make it back in time, he tries to lure her out with like, I'm just gonna eat all this candy yeah, by myself. You know, you know, it's such a dad thing to to kind of do. Um, so, so I do kind of love that their dynamic just in general, this will be a recurring theme in my comments about them. It feels very believable. It feels yes. very natural. Um, and, and definitely, you know, echoes of, of, uh, verisimilitude. Um, I already mentioned my main scare, that mind flare coming up out of the streets. I was like, uh, uh-uh, no, forget it. Like that's, that's going to haunt every time I take the garbage out now for probably the next four months. Um, it's, it's a freaky, freaky shot. Um, and it's really effective and scared the crap out of me. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny uh, comparing Sean Astin and Billy or, or Bob and Billy, you, cause you know, whenever you introduce a new character, especially when it's a name like Sean Astin, like he, he's going to mean something to the story at some point in time. Well, when you 
Okay, so Bob, Billy, Mac, uh, and Max. Max, you know, she doesn't have to have a hyper-defined arc because part of her just existence is in relationship to the fellas, right? Sure. So yeah, from that sure, standpoint, she kind of syncs up well with just the flavor of the show. Um, right. Bob, okay, you've cast Sean Astin. Like, you spent mm-hmm. some money right, on this right. guy, so he's going to mean something. Um, Billy... The character is so distinctly drawn, however bad we may think that drawing to be, means somehow this is going to be relevant at some point. And and I just, I, I found Bob's inclusion ultimately in the story to be a very natural, organic way to factor him into the narrative and Billy's to be the complete opposite. And so it's just so interesting watching yeah, when you have these characters that are so specifically drawn just knowing, okay, you're going to mean something big or you're going to mean nothing at all. You know what I mean? Like, right. When a, when a show goes there with new characters, I mean. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. As far as scares go for this episode, um, Max's Michael Myers is great. And then I wrote. Oh, yeah, that is great. I wrote the zombie boy attack on Will was pretty harrowing. Yeah, it was, and it was upsetting too. Just that that like this poor guy has already been through so much, and then these these kids won't won't let him be about it. It's pretty rough. I hate bullies. Yeah, um, let's jump to your right. old your old buddy. Yeah, episode three. Uh, my 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 polywog. Um, so <laughs> so again. I love Dustin and his mom. Like one of my one of my few laugh out loud moments in this is when he's saying that he rigged a contraptions like because he found Dart at the end. We didn't see what it was that he found, but he found Dart at the end of episode two. So then he's bringing it in the house and he's like, oh, yeah, I ribbed a little contraption so that it moves just like a real ghost. And then he and his mom share this ridiculous little over the top laugh with each other. (laughs) And it's just like it just fills my heart with so much glee. I love I love that so much. I also put, uh, I referenced it in trivial bits, but, you know, obviously Bob's conversation with Will about Mr. Baldo and all the troubles that would come later. Uh, this is not a theme of any substance, but uh, I wrote down one of the themes of the show could be just bad advice. Like right. Steve's advice to Dustin is awful, and Bob's advice to Will is just awful. And so, like, there's so many characters who just give other characters bad advice. Um but I do love, uh, the, speaking a bit to the flashbacks, I do love when it shows us, like they did, they started with in season two and like they do further in season, or in episode three, episode two and episode three, uh, showing us how Elle and Hopper got together. Right. Um, and, and so when he first brings her to this home and he's playing, you know, don't mess around with Jim and, uh, and, and so, you know, they're just kind of cleaning up the house and everything like that's really, that's really fun. He, you know, lays out the don't be stupid rules. Um, so yeah, I really liked just all of that dynamic. One major dislike that I have, and then I'll pivot to you for, for likes, dislikes and scares and stuff. Um, when Elle sort of leaves and she wanders to the school and then she sees Max and Mike. This is a personal pet peeve in any film, television, or book, or anything. I get super annoyed, absolutely super annoyed, when this happens in in a variety of different contexts, but a character has been pining, character A has been pining for character B, and then they see character B simply having a conversation with a member of the opposite sex, and just 
then then all of that pining is just like, oh, it's not to be. It's not meant to be. I get so annoyed by that. I get so frustrated by the fact that they're just like, oh, I'm not even going to bother breaking it up. This is the moment when Elle sees Max right, skating right, right, around Mike, right. and then she like pulls him off. Um, like I know we don't want, from a narrative perspective, we don't want oh, Eleven and the Mike hammer, to the get... Hammer, the hammer pulls you off. What kind of uh, relationship do you have with your hammer? <laughs> That's such a great. Oh, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> oh. So yeah, wow. Let's just have the rest of the conversation you, about Thor you, Ragnarok. You rode your hammer? No, no, no. It came in. <laughs> so your hammer rode you on. You rode on its back. It rode on your back. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. That's okay. But um, I know we don't want Eleven and Mike to get together right, at right. this point in the story. Uh, but it just annoys me. It, it's it, this is not the only place where this happens. I just get super annoyed when I'm like, okay, you, clearly Mike has been calling for you and asking for you, and the moment you see him, he's talking to some redhead, so you just get petty and 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 just get ridiculous. So that just annoys me. What um, do What do you know? Inconsistency. Oh yeah. Heaven okay. forbid. You get one point, Nathan. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, so yeah, what do you what do you have for uh, dislikes? Um, well, I, I know I'm just, that was, I'm I was going to say I was like, wow, that was presumptuous, and and Dustin doesn't know what that means. Um, well, dislike Max's brother. The basketball scene is the worst. It's the absolute oh, it's worst. Awful. It's terrible. It's it's terrible. It is terrible. Like you watch Steve's that. Steve's having a bad week. You watch that scene. You're like, what? What? Nobody would do this. This is not even yeah. real people stuff. Um, you like that? That's how. That's like screenwriting one hundred and one is do real people stuff with your characters. Mm. Yes, exactly. Um, I wrote the friends don't lie in quotation marks is the first really great scene of the season. Hopper and Eleven. Yeah, I love that scene. All of their. St- I I think if the show had primarily just been them, I would have loved it so much more. Um, yeah. This is a blur of likes and scares. What I wrote down in the moment was Mr. Baldo did Samwise just doom Will. Um, oh, yeah. To your point. Yeah, it's it's so obvious from that first moment. You're like, that is terrible advice for what Will's dealing with. Like, terrible advice. Um, I did like the button of the Hopper and the Hawkins Lab dynamic when he says, I keep your stuff quiet, you keep your stuff out of my town. Um, right. That was right. a nice, a nice sort of bit of business. So let's get real specific here. Piggybacking on some of my beef to you is dart just, and, and I don't mean the way I'm even, it sounds like my tone is accusatory. I'm not, I'm genuinely curious. Is dart just, he just, he's just, he's just there. He's just in the bottom of this trash can. Just period. He's just one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where did yep, he cut? Where did, where did that specific, baby demo thing come from i mean i don't uh, do do you really need to know and i'm not uh, asking to be antagonistic like do you really need to know where it came from well when the when the show following that scene when the show shows me over the course of two days it growing from that to the dog size it just i don't know i really struggle with how much or little sense it makes it being there and and I guess what I'm what I'm trying to scratch at is like, and part of it feels like you're just saying, oh, <laughs> I'm really I'm really being a jerk right now. But oh, Nathan, you need all your T's crossed and eyes eyes dotted. Um, <laughs> but I don't I don't I truly don't. I love I love 
not having absolutely everything explained for me. That is fine. I just think they chose a very specific mechanism, say in season one, of conveying what the potential threat was. And I'm not saying there can't be other monsters. I wanted other monsters. I guess I just don't... I don't quite get why the, why the show would refuse to, you know, okay, so we've got this little polywog, Dart, and then four episodes later, whatever, how many, however many it is, they're suddenly everywhere. Like, are these other people throughout the town that have had interactions with the Upside Down and now barfing up slugs somewhere? I don't know. No, I mean, I, I, th- I think... I don't think we're meant to imply that there are other tethers. Will is Will is enough. Like if Will is vomiting, like I right. said, my interpretation of the end of season one is that that experience he had in the bathroom is not isolated. Uh, that that he does sort of barf these things up. Um, <laughs> and and so so to me, uh, man, like it to me, how Dart wounds up in the trash can is just that. I don't care. Like I don't care how he wound up in the trash can. Somehow. These demogorgons are wandering around, these demodogs, because they're not full-grown yet. Right, right. These, de- these demodogs are just, like, s- slugging around, and this one managed to get into, you know, a hole in a rusty old trash can, or made it into a garbage bag that then got shoved into the trash can. Somehow, this was wandering around, got stuck outside of Dustin's house, and Dustin found it. So, that's all I really need to know. And I think for the show, sincerely, if I were like defending the show uh, even more wholeheartedly, I think what the show is more interested in is what is this thing? Those are the questions narratively that it's asking before it finally reveals what it is. What is this thing? Not how did it get in the trash can? Just what is it? Because that's supposed to be the big reveal when Will sort of recognizes this thing is from the upside down because I, I vomit up these slug type things. So I think it's more interested in what is Dart than it is how did Dart get into the trash can? Well, and I think for me, like, I, I know this seems like beating a dead Demogorgon, but the the Dart in and of himself doesn't bother me, I think. Um, and it doesn't bother me that his introduction into the show is in the bottom of Dustin's trash can. I think what bothers me, or what I can't kind of find the bridge of narrative, you know, tissue for is, you know, is he, is, is that vert, is that polywog, that physical being, did it just come from the upside down just now? Did Will just barf it up five hours ago behind Dustin's house? Like that's what, that's the things that start to niggle at me of like, what, what are we? Yeah. So I get that. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I know the way that I, I just phrase that makes no, no sense. I think. I mean, I think. I think. My interpretation of it is that Will has been barfing these things up over a period of time, and and I think he's the only one. Like, I think he's the only one who's like barfing these things up. But just yeah, over a period of time, these have scattered to the whatever. They fall down the drain. They go through the sewers. They you know wander around and. And so then somehow this particular one happens to wind up outside Dustin's house in Dustin's trash can. So to me, that just that falls in more in the camp of like, I don't need to know all of the the map of, of how right, it got right, there. Right. The, con- the connecting point is what's more important to me, just in my take on the show. Well, I'll say this as a as a high compliment to you. Uh, based on your interpretation of the upside down, 
of Stranger Things 2, I'd much rather watch the Lackey version than the Duffer version. <laughs> um, so, so kudos well, to you, because, you. you know, your narrative makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Even though I, I do think you are bringing a lot of interpretation to it, which is positive. And and who knows? Maybe 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 I'd had some indigestion that night. Um, <laughs> well, and I want to keep something in mind yeah. too. Like like for us as just viewers of entertainment, I also did not like I di- I didn't do a lot of digging to external things. Right, right. So this so so um, I just want to say to to you, Nathan, to my friend, like these things that I'm I'm not coming armed for bear with like a whole bunch of Duffer Brothers interviews and or stuff. Like, this armed, is just... Armed for Rogue Bear? Yes, armed for Rogue <laughs> Bear. I'm just... This is what... This is what I got from the show. So this is this is kind of just what I thought about it. So I didn't do a lot of digging. I could be wrong. Like, your your criticisms may be far more valid, and I'm just dismissing them by internally connecting tissues that, that really were not that well thought out. That's entirely possible. I just watched the show, and this is kind of what I thought about right, the things that right, I had question right. marks about. You know, let's jump to. Uh, did, uh, did you have anything else on two point three on Pollywog? Uh, he, uh, for scares, one really big one. I just wrote down the mind flayer is not Baldo the clown. That right, whole scene right. where Will That's is rough. like, "Go away, go away," and the the mind flayer just gets closer and closer right. to him. The tornado finger and the whole like that was. So freaky. That was so, so scary. Will even running away in the halls while the smoke thing is like flooding the halls and coming after him. Dear Lord. That was rough. That was really, really rough. So very, very scary uh, in that regard. But that's that's really all I had in terms of uh, of that stuff from the uh, episode three. Episode four brings us to Will the Wise. I'm actually not quite sure why that episode is, is titled that way, but... Um, well, that was uh, this... that was uh, from. It was inspired by the drawing of Will's. Remember? Um, oh, okay, okay. Uh, Joyce makes a visual reference to his art on the refrigerator, and one right, of them, one right. of them is Will the Wise. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, yeah, your turn to lead out with with likes dislikes. Um, I I love a line I wrote down that I just love. This is a big. This this is the big fight with Hopper and Eleven. Um, oh, so brutal, but so great. His line to her: "I don't lie. I protect, and I feed, and I teach." Yeah, like, I. It's clear. I don't think this season gets a ton right, but sometimes you know, like that. I I just imagine whoever wrote that episode typing that line out and being like, "Yeah." I nailed, that. <laughs> I, I, I nailed that bit, you know, like that's, that's a yeah, great, absolutely. Absolutely. that's a great moment. Uh, <laughs> I actually wrote down all it says is Max's brother period. Still the worst. Like that's he is so the worst. It's oh my terrible. gosh. He's so annoying. He's such a textbook racist and it's so cheap and stupid. And that moment in the shower where he's like talking to him, I was like, are they going to eventually turn his character around? But no, no, they don't. He's awful, and he's awful through the whole thing. Adds nothing to it and only just detriments it, in my opinion. I found it slightly, I thought it was a cool moment, but it was slightly unbelievable unbelievable to me that they didn't search Nancy, they, the Hawkins Lab people, didn't search Nancy to find that tape recorder. I did wonder about that. I was like, you have to be pretty, because in the 80s you don't have a cam, you don't have a recorder on your phone, you know, so, so yeah, that is, that is a bit, curious um it works for the story but i definitely 
I definitely agree with you. I was like, really? Like you're going to be thorough enough that you can stop their car, but right, you can't. Right, right, but right, you right. Can't search their purse to have like half a dozen moles, you know, at the park. Yes, watching over exactly. Them, but you exactly. didn't find the tape recorder. Um, exactly. I did. I don't remember what the dialogue is, but what I wrote down is a really good sixth sense esque scene of Will talking about his experience with the shadow monster. I thought it was really. Oh yes, yes. Um. And just all of the stuff that they develop with Will as he's kind of being more and more taken over by the Shadow Monster, I thought builds really, really nice. I feel like that was a, that was well-paced, and I feel like it was really effective. One of the things that I had actually in, in, uh, in my scares is when he sees the bathtub and he's like, he likes it cold. I was like, ooh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a freaky line. Because, well, I mean, you know, some like it hot. But no, no Nathan. You're you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm getting there. Um. <laughs> so uh, all right. So continuing to thread this needle here, I'm going to ask you a question born of a criticism. So to me, okay. to me, it requires a lot of buy-in, character-wise, to ignore the blind spot Dustin has regarding Dart. Like it just. That's one of those places where it's like, I feel like you've done a character inconsistency. Hear me. Metaphorically, I don't mind, to a degree, the splintering of the of the boys, right? I mean, it's kind of a adolescence, different interests, where, you know, sure. shaky sure. Di- relationship dynamic. I don't mind that. To me, it's a big ask that Dustin just doesn't naturally assume this is an upside-down creature, although... Maybe we're meant to think he does, and it just is. Uh, but as a viewer, all I think is, well, that thing's going to turn into a demogorgon. It just is. And so it felt like a tall order to to buy that Dustin was just, like, cool with it. You know what I mean? I don't I don't disagree at all. It didn't bother me to, to a level where it hurt it for me, but I don't disagree with that. It, I do find it a bit of a stretch given how kind of on top of everything Dustin was in season one, that he would see Dart and be like, cool, Dart, yes. we've bonded. Yes. And not and not until he realizes, because this is in my scares, it's it's my last sort of scare for this episode, is I put just bye-bye, Muse. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. So when he realizes that Dart is a Demogorgon, that to me, I was like, yeah, dude, like you should have known this. You should have known something was off about this creature thing for a while now. And it did, I will agree with you, it did strike me as a kind of an, I don't know if I would call it an inconsistency, but in a similar camp of like, yeah, I don't know if Dustin wouldn't have raised a red flag on Dart a long time ago. But I kind of roll with it for where they go with it, and, and it didn't bother me that much. But I do agree with that. I think it's the last scene I just wrote that's a great shot of Hopper with the shovel and the pumpkin patch. That was not the last scene. But that's the no. shot of him, huh? He's he's in the sewers and yes. he turns upside down. Yes. Oh, it's great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a great visual representation of where he is and what he's in the midst of. So right. that was that was that was absolutely fantastic. I love that. I love that shot. Um, the only scares I had was what I called the Darta Gorgon eating the cat. So yeah, that was yeah, jacked up. Same thing for me too. So that brings us to episode five, Dig Dug. Dig Dug. Um, which is great because I love the title of this episode because obviously Dig Dug's the arcade game, uh, but also like it represents kind of Hopper in the underground, the Dig Dug right, thing, right. and then also Dig Dug is the game that's broken with Lucas and the blah blah blah. So, but what uh, I think uh, I think it's my turn to lead with likes sure. dislikes. Um, 
I do love that we see a little bit more of both Dustin's and Lucas's home lives because I really feel like we got a lot of that from Mike in season one and didn't get any of it from Dustin and Lucas. So I like that we see more of that. Oh, I think Lucas. I, I failed to mention in additional characters for the season. I think Lucas's sister is one of the best additions to the show. Period. She is so flipping She's funny. Great. Shit it. <laughs> like, I got a code for you. Shut your mouth. Like, oh my. <laughs> It was so, it was so great. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. Um, I love in the opening in in episode one when they're doing the or uh, I think it's episode episode two when they're doing the whole like Ghostbusters pictures and she mouths to him nerd yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's oh man it's so great. She's 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 a fun character. She's really great. So yeah, I love that. I love you know the exchange with with Lucas's parents and I've already mentioned several times how much I love Dustin and his mom. Um, I do like in this season or in this episode that they address the sort of romantic tension with Jonathan and Nancy, but it's still just that that all just kind of annoys me. We'll get there in a little bit, but that just kind of that just kind of annoys me. I did want to say, Mr. Nathan Rouse, at the risk of uh, 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 of further beating a dead horse or at least a dead bear, I did love again sort of validating myself. Uh, hashtag Rogue Bear. Uh, Murray has a line that I wrote down where he says when when Jonathan and Nancy first arrive and Murray says, well, I hope you didn't come all this way to tell me about the bear in the Harrington kids backyard because I've heard that one already. And I was like, did the Stranger Things creators listen to our podcast and know about Rogue Bear and blah, blah, blah. That's not true. That didn't happen. So but but I did. I, I like that. Um, I have I have several likes in this episode, so I may defer to you before I'm done. But um the last one that I'll that I'll say, like in this moment, is I love what I call the rise of Bob the Brain. Like this is where he finally comes in and he sees all the all the vine pictures and the vine puzzles and everything. Like I like I love just just him sort of becoming more active in the show. Sure, sure. One thing I will say about the Bob the Brain thing, and this is a kind of an overt. You talk about those on the nose winks and nods that they do. Um, when he, they're like, the objective is to find the X. And he's like, well, what's at the X pirate treasure? I mean, it's an obvious call out to the fact that he was in the Goonies and that's, mm. they find a pirate treasure map with an X and blah, blah, blah. Um, that was a bit on the nose for me, but still kind of fun. So I have a few more, but I want to, I, I want to defer to you to toss a few out there. Yeah. I love that the show is listening to me too. And Dustin says to Mike's dad, you're really no help at all. Exactly. I thought about that. And I wrote I wrote down, make sure Nathan feels validated that Mr. Wheeler really is useless. I wrote this down on my on my notes. Well good. That Mr. Wheeler really is just a nothing character. Yeah. Uh, I love uh Dustin's delivery after he sequesters Dart when he just says, I'm sorry, you ate my cat. <laughs> great uh, delivery. I, and we should mention um this episode. And the following one were directed by Andrew Stanton of Pixar fame. Yes. Finding um, Nemo, Finding Dory. Um, Wally, I think, too. I said it's clever, but the drawings don't have nearly the strength of the Christmas lights. There are- I agree. Yeah, the Christmas lights are just so strong. Like, how do you follow that up? I do love the drawings, but I do agree with you that they don't hold the power that the Christmas lights do. Sure. I also wrote Hopper and the Attack of the Bad CGI Tendrils. But <laughs> me beating a dead dart. Um, yeah, that's my likes dislikes. What else do you have for that before we get the scares? Um, 
I did want to point out this maybe would count as a trivial bit, but after Max hears from Lucas the the whole story of season one, she kind of speaks yeah. for all of the critics of Stranger Things. You know, she's like, I have a few issues. It was a little derivative. I wish it was more original. I was like, okay, that's a that's a way to hang a lantern on your on your critics right, right there. Right, right. Um, I will say that my least favorite episode. This might be even though it's got some great moments in it. All the stuff where Eleven goes and finds her mom and the flashback stuff. That's um. That's my least favorite part of this whole season. Like yep. I just, I, I really, I really zone out during that. I, I didn't, I didn't find much value to it almost at all. Uh, that's one thing I had for there. And then I'm ready to move into scares. Right out the gate, Hopper is sprayed in the face and trapped in the upside down. I was like, holy crap! And I was sitting there thinking, are they going to have the guts and like take Hopper out? Like, is that what's about to right, happen? Right. Um. But, uh, you know, it, it didn't. Um, but one of my three favorite moments of the season, probably third place favorite moments of the season or sequences, is Dustin trapping the Demogorgon. Like, that was great. Him, yeah. him suiting up. You know, there's a couple of scares where the Demogorgon, like, sees him and then gets closer to him, and the whole, he runs out, and, then, and the thing is just like, oh, I, I don't know what to do. Um, so that whole sequence was just, that was my third favorite moment of the whole season. So, so I love that. And then my final sort of scare note is just that when they're burning the thing at the end yep. and Will is having yep. a seizure, oh. that is, I mean, shout out to Noah Schaap, the actor. That yes, was he delivers. really effective. Well, because have you ever seen a character give a convulsion quite that way? I mean, I don't know. He was he was no. just selling it. He was selling it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's horrifying to watch. So so yeah, that's a that's a huge scare for me. Well, because don't they don't they? I mean, that's the close of the episode, right? It's just that, yeah, it, that it image cuts of him on him kind of writing. Yes, yeah, that's what the credits cut to. Um, so yeah, horrifying final final image, and of course, hinting at how connected he is, following the mind flayer, like getting into his into his head. Um, you know, really, really hinting at that deeper connection in general, which brings us to episode six, Harriet, the spy, Harriet the spy. Harriet the Spy. So what'd you what'd you like and dislike about this episode? Um I really we we should have mentioned him at the, I think you may have mentioned him um in last week's episode, but the investigator guy just doesn't work for me. Um I, I don't I yeah. don't I don't even quite know what it is. Like I just did, it was like he's in the series and then suddenly he's not and then he's back in, but he's super important when he's back in. It was just it was an odd kind of inclusion. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I didn't like almost at all that whole plot line. Yeah. Everything about Jonathan yep. and Nancy yep. trying to like expose yep. Hawkins. Almost at all, I didn't like that plot line. So because Murray is so entrenched in that, um, and I have a kind of hit and run thing when we get into themes, but because he's so entrenched in that, I really didn't, I really didn't care very much for that. He does have a couple of funny lines though. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, it just um, it just didn't quite quite gel for me either as a character although i did hear one thing in beyond stranger things they said it would be really fun if in a future season something in the plot line has to partner him up with hopper because they would be such a like they would goad each other so much but it might be a kind of a fun dynamic um so so yeah there's there's that i did love what i wrote down was lucas's sister's line oh he man thank you for saving my life what strong muscles you have (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i know i love her so much she's so hysterical now i wrote down you referenced it for last episode so maybe this happens 
in, in two versions uh, or two different ways. What I wrote down is Max to Steve, but I don't remember. Is that, did I have that backwards? One of them says to the other, I'm 100% sure it wasn't a bear. Or are you 100% sure it wasn't a bear? That's it. Max says to Steve, are you 100% sure it wasn't a bear? And I just thought of Reed. Um, uh, no, because what I was referencing was what Murray right, says. Right, right, Murray says something. So, yeah, that Max to Steve. I think this is different. when they – this must be once they've gotten out to the uh, junkyard. Um, sure, sure. This is also the introduction of the Steve and Dustin buddy 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 stuff, which is just – Right. That's – my my favorite elements of the season would be Hopper and Eleven, and more or less all the Dustin and Steve stuff, and Steve in general. Um, those are the strongest yes. elements to yes. me. Um, yeah, I love the two of them together. That's my favorite pairing that the show has has put on there. I for me, it even trumps Hopper and Eleven. But I but I, I yeah. Well, I think there. I think I think the Dustin Steve is a fantastic character pairing. I think the stakes and sort of the emotional element of the 11 hopper give it a different flavor, you know, totally agree. Totally um, agree. Yeah. I just wrote great shot of all the soldiers lights going out at the end. Oh yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When we get into scares. Yeah. That was, that is, that is a fantastic, very effective shot. One thing that I did write a complaint that I have is um, I feel like Mike in this season was given two instructions. Be worried for Will and pine for Eleven, and I feel like that's oh, all Mike's given bad. to do. It was bad. Yeah, through through the entire thing, and it really sort of plays out in this moment. I realized when he was in this, I'm like, wow, Mike really has not been given anything terribly much to do. Yeah, in in this in this season, I feel like one thing that I have is I feel like Hopper really messed up with L. Like in his home, in his own sort of like machismo Hopper way, he was trying to do what he thought he could he could maybe do but he really messes up with her and by the time he calls on the cb and is really confessional and is really honest and That's vulnerable a great, it's a great scene wonderful moment but uh it's too late she's gone you know right. and uh and so so that was really sort of emotional um one line that i that i love that i'm gonna have to censor here is uh when they're at the junkyard and then all of a sudden steve comes up and is like you know Hey, I'm gonna use the word jerks instead of what he says. Like, you know, hey jerks, how come the only one helping me out is this random girl? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> loved that. Um, and uh, and and I will say, I guessed. Well, I intuited pretty early on that the mind flayer thing was gonna use Will. That again, I, I can't remember if I said this already or if we said it off pod or not. Um, that for me. It it like the the track that my mind went on pretty quickly was okay. The mind flayer is gonna use Will to hurt everybody around him. Like that's that's what his intention is. So when Mike and Will are talking about like, no, we'll spy on him and we'll do this other thing, I was like, nope. He is gonna use Will to get all of you guys. So the conceit at the end of Spy when Will is like supposedly been trying to help them out, right. but then it's revealed that it was an ambush. That was no surprise to me at all. I was like, okay, yep, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. This is the direction that I thought this whole thing was going to go. Um, but it's still, it's still terrifying when it happens. Like, like for me, like it's still a really effective, freaky sort of moment. Um, but that's all I had for likes, dislikes in, 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 in terms of we can move into, uh, we can move into scares if you have any. Um, I don't, well, I mean, I guess the soldier's light sequence, what I went, what I wrote down is I wanted more Demogorgon, 
but I don't know what that means out of context. So, you know, does is one that, show is, up? Well, yeah, a horde of them shows up. Well, so, well, so this one, I'm not I, referring I, to dogs, but go ahead, go ahead. I have it in I have it in my scares, but Steve again, a lot of love for Steve Harrington, but Steve's face off with the demogorgons out in the field happens in this episode right, where right. it's foggy and right, he's facing down right. the one and then the second one comes up and all of that um like that really that was really effective it's one of my one of the most tense moments in the season for me I really responded very heavily to that and then that of course culminates in you know the Hawkins lab red shirts all getting dispatched with uh which I think is a really effective and and freaky sort of sequence all right so let's uh let's jump into the you know just one of the finest pieces of television cinema uh, of the modern era um your hat too heavily there. that would be episode oh it was beautiful that would be episode (laughs) seven of season two also titled the lost sister um my mild understanding is this is regardless of my personal feelings on the season of the, on the season as a whole this is a very very divisive episode for fans oh Not, absolutely. I, I didn't read absolutely. anything but just seeing glances of people's responses and whatnot um my opening dislike it says 11 is just another x-man now just <laughs> just part of the part of some new team um I said, I'm, I wrote this down at the top of the episode. I said, I'm going to go out on a limb, uh, or rather, Eleven is going to go out on a limb with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants only to realize her real home is with Hopper. So, you know. And you said that at the beginning of the episode, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, and that is what I sort of meant, I think it was last week at this point, on shortcuts and things I don't need explained to me and things I do need explained to me, like, or things I want explained to me. like. I didn't need a whole episode just to know that. Then this is what I meant. Sure, remember, sure. remember last week when we were talking about Steve and the Marquis? Like, oh, that, absolutely. That yeah. single isolated act does a ton. Um, and in this, they experimented with a whole episode to do one. Like, that's all that episode does. You you could make the case it kind of expands the world a little bit, and I won't totally disagree with that. Except there's no real payoff for that this season. But in terms of character work. All it does is kind of, okay, sure, maybe it pushes Eleven's powers a little bit, but in terms of emotional character work, it just gets us to this one singular place, which is, hey, my sort of place, my home is with these people. Yeah, and I don't even disagree with that criticism, but I'm, uh, so, so I didn't do any external work or read any external reviews. But you can just simply glance at the IMDb ratings for the episodes. Oh, really? It's like 8.9, 8.5, 9.1, 2. Then you get to Lost Sister, and it's like six point two, wow. <laughs> and then and then you know like hikes back up for the for the final two episodes. I am in a bit of an apologist for this episode. In the conversations that I've had with a few friends following the show, and a couple of conversations with my wife and everything. Um, I'll agree the episode has some huge problems. And I definitely think that the beats they try to hit in episode seven would have been better served to be dispersed out through a few other episodes. Sure, like if they sure. wanted to take these these beats, still include them, but have them be elements of three, four, five, and six, 
and then just get 11 to them faster and then do all of this sort of uh, parsing out. I think it might have been a little bit better received. That having been said, there are two moments in this episode that genuinely move me that that I, without like trying to foster up defense, really got quite touched by. So, I mean, the episode is problematic because it you end on such a killer cliffhanger with six, and then you then you go off with eleven right, to all right. these other places. It's like, oh my gosh, that's just that's just ridiculous. So I recognize that that's problematic. I also recognize that it's problematic that the this is the second time that we've seen these people in the show. So and so the that's first time you saw it was for a two minute scene at the very beginning, right, exactly. Right. So I recognize that that's a problem. That having been said, the the train yard when she's moving the train, to me that's less about expanding her power base and more about coming to an understanding of the trauma that she's dealing with. Sure, because she's been isolated for over a year. Like she's she's been oh well, not quite well, over gonna, a year. Well, it's like three fifty two days, something like well, that. Well, take that um, a step further. She was. Taken from her parents or her parent. Oh, sure, and sure. Yeah, kept yeah. in isolation for eleven years or however. Yeah, old exactly, she is. exactly. And so, like, I, I think for me that moment when Kali is kind of like sitting there, Kali uh, or Callie or however you say that, she's sitting there like, you know, this is the pain. This is what they've done to you. You know, take all of that and use it. And then the music swells and you see the flashbacks. And it did that that moment really worked very well for me. I know that the episode itself is very weak. And I, I won't even defend, you know, the strength of the episode itself. But that moment genuinely got me uh, in terms of what it meant for Eleven to come into that sort of realization of like, hey, these things were all done to me, but I, but I do have a strength and I do have, you know, a capacity to move somewhere else from beyond that, that I'm not defined by that. Um, so I did like that. And uh, like I said, had the show all of the things in that episode done something more crucial to the overall plot. I think it might've been better received by fans. Um, I think that the characters are the, the, the sort of extra characters are all very poorly drawn, right? Very shallow characters. They're, they're, they're caricatures almost, uh, them and their little Scooby-Doo mystery van. Um, so, so I really, I really do acknowledge that the episode has some big problems that haven't been said. Genuine, like got teared up like actually got teared up when 11 is in the void and sees that hopper is in trouble and sees that mike is in trouble right right, and and like like i genuinely like kind of got teared up i was like oh man she's gone off on this journey of self-discovery and now is sort of coming to terms with or you know recognizing like holy crap they need me you know i it's it's similar. I'll tell you what it evokes. It is it evokes that moment in episode six of season one where Mike and Dustin are kind of doing their own thing and then Eleven comes in and saves the day at the quarry. You know? Right, right, right. Like it it like it reminded me of that. And so then like when Callie says to her, Don't go back to them, they they can't save you, Jane. Like they and that's her line. They can't save right, you, right, Jane. Right. And of course she says no, but I can save them. Like Nathan, like I know that the episode is weak. But dude, I loved that. Sure. I absolutely loved that moment. And then like her running away while the only people who are close to understanding who she is and what she's going through are driving in the opposite direction. Like that that was really moving to me. It was a well, very and you could almost, you know, impactful thing. Um thoughts that are coming to me 
one well before this recording i had this thought the other day i was like this it's it's surprising to me how much lost reference is happening in these two episodes but um my thought was this must be what people feel like when they watched beyond the sea and lost oh yes yes you know, it's exactly. like it's this like is exactly that um although yes with a little tweak to it but yes um for anyone who hasn't watched lost the penultimate episode of six seasons of show did exactly what not this... quite penultimate two before the end but yes um okay because well, what yes. follows beyond the sea is what they died for pointing out to you because okay yeah, yeah and then the and then yeah. the end um uh so somewhere in there to, to well regardless it is preempted by a pretty significant cliffhanger right i mean that's the yeah, absolutely that's the yeah, submarine the right the candidate yes, yes. yeah yeah and that yeah absolutely well anyway so in lost there's this big dramatic moment that ends with all the characters that you've grown to love for five seasons, and then suddenly, for one whole hour, we pivot thousands of years into the past um, right. for an expository episode. Which, for a, a, a Uber fans like ourselves, I don't mind it. I can kind of go. I can kind of go and understand the criticism, but I didn't mind it personally. Again, when you consolidate all of this down, that's a huge pivot to make in nine episodes of a second season. What would have been interesting, and this just came to me as you were thinking this, I would have been so much more, this, this, you know, I think maybe you do this, I, I do this a lot, like how, how can you take the pieces of a puzzle of a piece of media and reconfigure them in such a way that's like, okay, well, that will help me make more sense of it, or um, this might be how I would have seen it or done it. Like, I love the Hopper 11 stuff, and I'm not even suggesting to trade that, but the power of episode seven would have been far more potent. Imagine this after don't ask me exactly how to connect all of these dots. As we know, I'm not really great at that, but (laughs) uh, after 11 dissipates with the Demogorgon at the end of season one, instead of apparating into the upside down and then, and then, you know, being born back into Hawkins Middle School and then roam, roam, sure. roaming the the wilderness. What if again? Don't ask me how this would happen, but she ends up where with these characters. It's there's a much shorter sure. a much sure. shorter distance. Like if you had peppered Eleven's story, if her story would get rid of the mom stuff, it doesn't really do much other than sure. other than introduce her to the concept of number eight and just have her thread along her story be with them one. I've got more time to sort of buy in on these characters. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Two, what you're describing as what you felt of the emotional payoff to me would be far more formidable and potent because by then we're ready. We're ready for her to go back and be a part. I don't know. I just think that would have been an interesting... It might have been. It's an interesting I love love the Hopper 11 stuff, so I'm not ready to say I would trade that for that, but it would have been an interesting choice. Yeah, I I don't disagree. Um, I don't have any scares for this episode though, because like, like honestly, the closest I get to it is her seeing, you know, Mike running and saying it's a trap and and all this other sort of stuff. The the episode's not really scary, which is another sort of uh ding against it, as it were. So yeah, I mean, I, summing up that episode, I I just I, I recognize that it's weak. I recognize that it's flawed. I will just sort of toss a grenade in a backpack that 
so much of the season felt so formulaic or repetitive to things that had come in season one that for me, there was a part of me that really wanted to champion and applaud them trying something a little different, but that doesn't mean that it worked. Right. And that doesn't mean that that it was successful. I do just want to applaud uh, their efforts to try to, to try to tell it in such a way. And like you said, like I didn't even put it together, but that the across the sea analogy I think is, is, perfect is perfectly apt that it very much was that sort of problem you have a story you need to tell you've paced the others very deliberately so you then you pivot over to this other you know sort of fill in the blanks right kind of chapter and there's a couple of of powerful scenes in that episode but overall it just wasn't quite it, it wasn't quite placed in the right way and it wasn't it wasn't executed in a way that really sort of benefited or bolstered the rest of the season well i am i am admittedly a little glad to hear you say season two feels a bit formulaic to season one just because it feels like oh um, yeah. yeah it feels like I've, I've been the only one doing the nail baseball bat beating uh, <laughs> <laughs> well again four versus eight like i like yeah i have some dings i love it but it sounds like you look, like didn't like it like maybe that's not quite fair but, but uh, yeah, like. i mean that's that's a reasonable assessment um well and and there is a chance I would give this a chance that a repeat viewing would again iron out some of those wrinkles, but the feeling associated with finishing season two is so different than the feeling of finishing season one the first time that I don't I just don't know. But yeah, re- regar- sure. regardless, um episode eight is the mind flare. Uh we are closing yes. closing in on this this would in fact be the an ultimate episode read like yes it is um of season two at least oh we love that word what i wrote is actor playing will whom whose name you've got in front of you and have said multiple yeah, times no he's just really delivering yeah he's he's incredible in that whole interrogation scene yeah that was oh that's that's absolutely phenomenal well that was one of that was one of those few scenes so there are moments where i feel like there's some convenient plot choices made to get certain things get puzzle pieces in place in a way that previously didn't feel quite so heavy handed. That particular scene felt really strong from a character standpoint with uh, Joyce and Jonathan and even Mike finally getting some, some dialogue this season when they're sharing those stories of their experience with Will. Like I really, I really, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, that's a very kind of moving sequence you know like they're trying desperately to reach out to him and yeah it was it was really nice character beats for everybody involved and then uh i put of course like you can't talk about this episode without you know pouring a cold one out for old bob the brain um who i think really like it's a nice emotional roller coaster because he really shines in this episode in terms of helping out the rest of our group and then it's it's pretty rough when when he has to go like it's a it's a pretty violent gory kind of scene uh it's quite gory actually Yeah. yeah yeah it really is now something that i wanted to save for trivial bits uh till we got to this episode i don't know if you know but bob was always gonna die like that that was always gonna be a story beat it was actually gonna happen much earlier like will was gonna kill bob when the demogor when the mind flayer first like infected him, Will was going to take Bob out, but they liked Sean Astin so much that they kept wanting to work with him and give him some stuff to do. Uh, so and and uh, it's reported that 
Sean said he didn't he didn't care how his character died as long as it was somewhat heroic. <laughs> um, but yeah, that whole sequence of Bob making his way over, you know, speaking basic and getting the lights on, getting the power on, very reminiscent in some ways of like Jurassic Park. But uh, but like making his way on through, and then the whole broom closet thing. That I was, was like, great. oh yeah, yeah. That was that was it was really a, a very nice send off for a character that I think of all of the new additions to the show, easily the strongest character. And even though I would have loved to have seen Bob in season three, uh, a really nice, effective uh, kind of send off. Uh, did you have any more uh, likes dislikes about it? I have one more major one. Um. I did write the Demogorgon overthrow is pretty cool. And I think what I meant by that note now in hindsight is just the, you know, kind of the, <clears throat> the building having been overtaken by them. It's, it's just, yes. A, yes. It's a nice, uh, nice device. Um, yeah, absolutely. I wrestled with, with Bob's demise. I, I don't ask me exactly how this would have to work, but, I almost wished there had been some sort of Mr. Baldo illusion. Like, like that was clearly such a significant character moment for him when he shares that with Will. Sure. That, and again, I don't know how exactly you would do it, but um, it felt like it would have been interesting to see some sort of his, because because he doesn't stand off against them. He gets right, right assaulted by them, kind of out of the blue, you know. Yeah. So. One thing I will say about Bob that I thought was a really nice touch. I don't know if you caught this line, but afterwards, you know, Bob's dead. The family's all back at the house. And then Mike picks up the little puzzle stuff, the Bob the Brain puzzle stuff. Yeah. yeah. And he says, almost as a throwaway line, but he says, did you know that Bob first started the AV club? And, And so I was like, that was really cool because it leaves you with the impression that, like, if Bob had been younger... And in school, in the events of season one, he would have been right along with the rest of our of our team, you know. And it was just it was a really nice touch for a character that I think made a big splash this season. And and I think I think it was good. I think it was really really well done. Oh, um, one more. I'm sorry. One more dislike before we get too far away from it. Uh, you know, Billy's parents scene. I, I just, I mean, just. Oh, it's. Uh. Because of course, I just threw because, up in my mouth a little bit. You bringing up. Billy well, again. if you, you probably threw up a little polywog. Um, <laughs> Uh, look out, trash cans! Like, right, right, trash cans of Hawkins. Look out! Um, I what I wrote down is it's too late. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. This was so mm-hmm. easy to forecast. Like, of course. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, his dad beats him. Okay. Yeah. Like. Yep. Of course. That's not interesting. <laughs> I don't know, man. And what's interesting yeah. is I did what I did watch of the um beyond hearing the Duffers talk about, oh, we really wanted a human villain, which I'm, I'm not even saying don't do. But, man, it just... it You have to have, I think, you have to have some dimensionality. You gotta have some shades. And that character has no shades whatsoever. Oh, absolutely. Well, and even if you're gonna have him, like, at least, going back to my main complaint, at least if you want to have a human villain, have him have some impact on the main plot. Uh, like, really, we'll get to it in uh, in the next episode, but Really, his only main plot is to antagonize and annoy and and hurt our main characters. Like that—that's all he does. He doesn't impact. Like it would have been substantial if, in the reverse of Bob, if something that Billy's character did 
like deepened or expanded the hold the mind flayer had on the rest of our characters. That might have been sure. somewhat interesting if, if in his brazen sort of debagness, if <laughs> if he had you know if he had done something that would have made things worse or raised the stakes. Like then now you've got a human villain, you know. But right. as it is, he's just kind of he's just kind of there. And yeah, I don't I don't like him almost at all. Uh, um, do you have any other things for episode eight? I love Elle's entrance. I love it. Like when she finally, like the Demogorgon is, is tossing around outside and all this stuff going on. And then they're all armed to the teeth. Lucas has even got his little monster killer there, you know? Um, And then, you know, then she just makes this big grand entrance. Like I love the look on Mike's face. I love the music. I love like everything about it. I just love, I think it's great. Well, that's, that's episode eight, the mind flayer. Let me ask you, cause you, 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 I mean, we could easily talk about this some in episode nine, but I mean this as an objective question. It sounds like I'm just piling on everything on this season. I I mean this as a genuine question, not just me being a turd. Um, like, I don't love the Mike and Eleven sort of pseudo romance or whatever it's supposed to be. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it, really it's, like I, it. I, um, I am not trying to suggest I don't appreciate the sort of playful of not playful the endearing sort of affection like but it almost feels by the end the show is trying to play it as a bit more adult of a adult of a romance than i think it should be i don't know if that makes sense interesting um i mean i do understand what you're saying i just i just took it a little differently i mean it feels very sort of naive and innocent but in that way there's an almost a kind of a purity to it they just they just are connected. They right, just like right, each other. Right. Um and uh and so to me that that I find that very sweet. And there are some things that we could get into. Yeah, and I don't uh, I'm not, episode nine, I would agree but, with you with the word sweet. I like that word just in general. And I like yeah. food that is sweet. Um so Yes. Yes. <laughs> you want to uh you want to close the gate? Let's bring yeah, it home. Let's close, let's the, close gate, the gate. We'll we'll let's get into it. a little bit of thematic stuff and then and then we'll uh we'll wrap it all up. Um so, piggybacking off your comment about Mike and and L, I actually really love the way that Hopper deals with Mike uh, regarding the whole L revelation. When Mike realizes, like, "Oh, you've been hiding her. What are you talking about? What are you doing? You've been hiding her this whole time." Um, that whole moment, I really liked. Mike's freak out, Hopper like taking it, and then you know br- drawing him in for a hug. Right. Uh, that all that that all felt really, really, really nice. I did write down. I said. I don't dislike Max, but I do kind of love that Elle won't shake her hand. <laughs> like, like oh, I do kind of yeah. love that old moment where she's like holding her like, oh, I've heard so much about you. And Elle's like, nah, and it just walks by her. I, think, I, I actually do kind of love that moment, uh, even though I don't I don't dislike Max. Sir Diva, um, her diva moment. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, but oh, good God, Billy just annoys the crap out of me. I can't like I can't I can't think about him without having like a toothache. He, he just, it, it bothers me. It, like his whole showing up and being racist towards Lucas for no darn good reason. And then, and then I did write down, I put, I do love Steve's hero moment, but man, this show seems to love beating him about the face. <laughs> like, like the show right, just loves right. to make Steve get, get beat the crap up. Do you think, I thought about bringing this up earlier, but I knew it would probably come up here. I mean, do you think the show intends Billy to be gay? 
because there are so many questions. There are. I haven't really thought about it. Well, think about it in the sense of <laughs> that sounded like I was like, well, do think about it. <laughs> well, do think about like it. one. You're playing on the '80s. This sort of you know, it would have been a very kind of homophobic period in time. But um, uh, he more than once, when the subject of girls comes up, references not my type, right? Oh, interesting. He yeah, says he even says it to uh, Cara Buono, aka Mrs. Wheeler, mm-hmm. when the dad is accosting him so fiercely. He uses the the f word, the the slur. Um, oh, right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, I, I think. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that's and his, and he's so angry. You know, like anyway, I don't know. It, it. I wondered if they were sort of trying to intimate that, um, but I'm with you. Like the scene yeah, it of, wouldn't shock me. The scene of him showing up, man, I'm like, by the time he's beating Steve up, I was like, whatever. This is so that this this is so unearned. Like, yeah, y- you yeah. you really feel like you can see the creative strings of, oh, come on, like let get Steve out of this situation. Why would you even put this character sure, in this sure. moment? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, I, Billy I sucks. <laughs> Billy Billy does suck. Um. Uh, I wrote down. I love the exchange that Hopper and L have in the truck. Uh, yes, when they're yes. when they're kind of resolving the conflict that they've had for a while. Um, that is just it's sweet. It it I I I love I love so much of that relationship, and I think it culminates so perfectly. Uh, for where they're going and what they're going to do for them to resolve all of those issues feels really nice. No, I tell that's that's actually what I wrote was really strong scene between the two of them. Um, his sort of black hole kind of moment. Right. right. I love. And then I, also, I, I did love. I'm sorry. I did love the. Um, I mentioned this. It might have been last week at this point, but uh, and this may be getting away, getting ahead of you here. But Steve and Steve and the gang in the in the upside down. Oh uh, yes. I mean that was oh, a, that so was great. that was a really yeah. strong sequence. Um, yeah. I, I sort oh, of I yeah, sort of would it. have loved to have seen a little more of that kind of thing. But uh, but that was really great. You know, as much as as much as I I had do have mixed feelings about the use of Eleven overall. I mean, I get it. Millie Bobby Brown kills it. Like that moment. Oh my gosh, that moment. Are you referring to the gate closing? What are you referring to? Where she to? closes the gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. I'm referring to where she closes the gate. Holy cow! Because then, and that kind of retroactively justifies Episode Seven a bit more for me because it's it's papa's line of like you have a wound you know and and not to tip my hat too heavily but uh, this is going to come up again in themes but uh this this whole idea of like this is what she's been building towards she feels like she's a monster because she opened this gate so this is much more her closing it is much more than her just rescuing her friends this is also a very deeply personal thing that she's accomplishing when she's doing this. Right. She's having to call upon all of her resources to do it. Uh, very powerful moment. Love it. Love it so much. Love Hopper, like, picking off the right. demodogs right. and everything. Like, love everything about that moment. It's freaky as crap that the Mind Flayer kind of looks at her and then that puts this tendril thing out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. I love everything about that scene. The uh, Just a few other likes of this particular episode. For all the sort of mixed feelings I might have about the season as a whole, I did love the last kind of ten minutes or so 
of season oh, nine. Snowball? Uh, oh, Snowball? Yeah, I mean, like, the Dustin's hair bit is such a fantastic payoff to the... Oh, it's so great. ...to the Steve-Dustin relationship. I mean, Absolutely. even... And, and uh, we brushed past it, but the scene of them on the railroad tracks uh, in seven, I guess, or... No, not in seven, in six, perhaps, um, of Steve imparting the hair... Uh, process. Yes, that was oh so gosh. good. Yes, that's hysterical. That, that was, was such great. A great beat, oh, uh, with fantastic. with fantastic payoff with Dustin's hair in episode nine. Um, absolutely. What I wrote down is Steve is the unsung hero of Hawkins. He's he really is. He's yeah, in my in my book, hashtag justice for Steve. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I totally agree. One thing that I do want to mention, a uh, couple things specifically about uh that snowball but before i mention that uh we, we kind of breezed right by this or didn't mention it at all i do love the fight that joyce and jonathan and nancy put up for will like i, I wrote down the exorcism of will Byers, sure. um where where they you know they won't they refuse to give up on him and it harkens back to all the stuff that we said last week about like not giving up on people and etc but i do love that whole sequence um but hopping back into snowball did you catch in because it, it it a couple of blinks and you'll miss it but um when L arrives when 11 arrives she's wearing Hopper's blue bracelet. Do you know about the blue bracelet thing? Do you know about all uh, that? I don't remember if I do. So so Hopper always wore a bl- a blue bracelet around his arm uh around his wrist. Um through the whole season 1, he's he's wearing it. All of season 2, he's wearing it. It is revealed in episode eight of season one, the final episode, that that blue bracelet was his daughter's ponytail bracelet. Ah. Like that that's what she put in. Right, right. And that throughout the whole show, he's wearing that bracelet. That's cool. Episode nine, when Eleven shows up at Snowball, she's got it on her left arm. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I almost got like choked up and everything. I was like, oh my God. That, that is, is awesome. That is absolutely fantastic because it's already no you know we see the birth certificate that dr owens gives him like jane hopper like right he's gonna right. adopt l and and so so it was just beautiful it was just it was absolutely lovely every moment i couldn't agree more with you that like every moment of snowball uh is just so satisfying and so wonderful you get the nancy and dustin thing That's you get the great. lucas and max thing yeah. you know uh mike seeing 11 will gets asked to dance as zombie boy and one thing that I commented to my wife, um, the Joyce and Hopper thing, I said, I hope the show does not take them into a romantic place because I so love the kind of brother sister thing that they've that they've got going on. Um, that's, and, and I just that's interesting because I think I think that's a guarantee that it will go there. a romantic thing. Yeah, I mean that's nah, I kind of hope not. That's in in large part to me why you, this is why when Sean Astin enters the scene as a love interest you're almost positive like yeah he's gonna die <laughs> just because the I show see that i I, yeah. I like your vision of joyce and hopper as this sort of sibling-esque thing but i don't think that's and i and i might would have been a bit more on board with it except correct me if i'm wrong season one pretty heavily implies they have a history a romantic history way back in the day right yeah, right i think so but i think you're right i i, yeah. I think yeah. I think before the series is over, that will be a cemented kind of yeah, romantic yeah, relationship. Prob- probably right. Here's here's probably a random. Right. I'm, I think it, I'm, uh, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna throw something random at you real quick. So, and then we can pop back in pop back into uh, snowball. Um, 
I actually thought you you referenced this the exorcism of Will Byers like as strong a scene as that was the episode prior I don't remember what made me think this I almost wish this had happened I wondered were we heading for a monster will like fully enthralled by the shadow monster face off with 11 and I was like that would be pretty pretty ballin you know yeah to have had that sort of uh that sort of showdown. Anyway, uh, yeah. We, no, I agree with you. We, 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 thank you. We didn't. Uh, <laughs> we we didn't get it, but snow, we did get the snowball, and it's yeah, it's nice. It's it's delightful. Did you catch the? Um, uh, it's a bit on the nose, but uh, uh, the police song, "Every Breath You Take," you know, every move you make, and then sure enough, it shows us very deliberately that every breath they take and move they make that the mind flayer will be watching. Right. Them. Right. <laughs> um, so it's a bit on the nose, but it's still, I liked it. Um, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, I, I, overall, I really, um, I, I really found a lot to latch onto in this season emotionally, uh, narratively. Did you have anything else before we sort of start steering the plane towards home with some theme conversation? No. Um, I think, did um, you, have any specific theme like here's why i asked this and i asked this uh, as uh, intending a profound amount of respect Uh, when you when you dislike something (laughs) i know it's sometimes a little harder sure it's a little harder to to glom onto something thematically i have one pretty strong but i want to yield if you well uh if you have something that you did sort of pull out i do like it's funny my my strongest thematic notes are actually from the first third of the season um interesting okay which isn't which yes it that would be indicative of the further it went the less i was kind of bought in the 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 sort of less i was finding um and and hear me like i will continue to watch stranger things and your interpretation of some things is a bit uh helpful to my animus or cynicism towards some of it animus is a strong word <laughs> towards my cynicism towards some of it that once stranger things 3 rolls around i will i will of course you know give give some heed to where we go with that I think a couple of thematic notes that are purely just lines and I don't have a ton of exposition to accompany, but um, I loved Jonathan and Will's conversations in episode one. Um, Jonathan yeah. uh, says being a freak is the best. And in the same scene says nobody normal ever accomplished anything in this world. Um, right. And I do like, you know, there's, there are ways in which, if you take the supernatural stuff out, this show has echoes of that kind of freaks and geeks kind of thing. And this just sort of, sure, you know, ad- adolescence, youthfulness is just a really challenging season for everybody. You all feel like freaks and out of place and like you, you're sure. Uh, stranger things are happening to you. And <laughs> um, so I really like what you did there. Yeah. You like that? Um, I really liked uh, just some of what pulls out of that particular scene. And I always think that the Jonathan will relationship is really strong. I mean, that's just a really, 
for yeah, for yeah. what for whatever. And I don't 100 percent disagree with you, though. I I am more empathetic towards that actor than I think you are. I do think the Jonathan Will relationship has been strong throughout the series total. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, my other major thematic note, uh, I will credit to Samwise Gamgee, um, is in episode three, I'm pretty sure this is when he's talking about Mr. Baldo. Yeah, it, it, it would have to be. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a haunting line. And even regardless of where the the story in Stranger Things 2 goes. But he says to Will, the ones who don't punch back get taken advantage of. Oh, yes, yes. Because he loves that Joyce punches back. Yeah. Does he say that to Joyce? He says it to okay. Joyce. Okay, yeah. I wrote it. I wrote, all I did was write down the quote. I didn't write down the context. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I, I, I think sort of like, I, I will always think of our let me in conversation about practical faith in an impractical world, you know, like, like what right, is, what right. is it, what does it mean to put actual, uh, hands and feet to what you think and believe? And so I've got a little mixed feelings theologically about the idea of the ones who don't punch back, get taken advantage of, but I sure, kind of, of understand it, you know? Um, right, right. Anyway, th- those were some of the main kind of thematic stuff. So, I mean, sure. Well, I have, uh, I- Maybe something about the don't punch back is going to come back in my in my in my major theme. Uh, there were so many themes, in my opinion, to kind of choose from. Uh, I'm going to hit and run like uh, just like three or four of them. Uh, sure. I already mentioned kind of a jokey theme of bad advice, like lots of bad advice right, is given right. to people with disastrous consequences. Um, another theme that I saw was uh, the theme of just trauma and aftermath, just like. Coping with something that was traumatic. I didn't bring uh, it up, but I did write PTSD down. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I like their uh, uh, their efforts to talk about that. Yeah, I think that's a a huge element of it. Another thing that I wrote down was uh, transitions, like being in between, stuck in between two places, like not feeling really at home in either one of them. You know, kind of like the viewfinder analogy, which I thought was really was really good. Um, Two more, real quick. The theme of responsibility came up a lot not just like taking responsibility or but also like uh holding others accountable for it like that that kind of thing which uh not to divert us back into like a more trivial conversation but do you feel like justice for barb finally happened like do you feel like that finally you know the fact that there's a funeral there's acknowledgement like all that stuff like do you feel like that's well that, that's to, kind of to, satisfying to to address your question I didn't have a ton of personal investment in hashtag justice for Barb. I found it an interesting thing that fandom took away from it. Actually, in season two, I thought, wow, you, you guys overcorrected so heavy with Barb. Like, oh, right, right. You spent right. the entire, like, Nancy's entire story in season two, more or less, is... Is justice for Barb. Right, yes, right, right. Absolutely. It was like, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, and then the oh, I'm sorry. I have I have t- two more, and then a major one. We'll talk about the major one. Okay. Um, compromise. Uh, both the compromise of uh, mutual benefit, like half happy, as as he calls it, halfway happy. Um, but also the idea of like watering down the truth, 
watering down, uh, you know, the the moment with the vodka of like, yeah, we're going to water down the truth to make it more tolerable. Those are both uh, elements of compromise that I think shows up uh, occasionally in the show. And the other thing that really stuck out to me was the idea of like revealing secrets. Um, you know, Hopper is hiding L. Uh, Lucas telling Max the truth about everything, the exposure of the Hawkins lab, like just, you know, uncovering secrets. But of all of the themes that that stuck out to me, the biggest one and hit me so, so heavy when I watched it was what I'm actually going to call closing the gate, like like actually shutting shutting the gate. Um, and And how I want to articulate this is when in season one, Eleven thinks that she's the monster because she opened the gate. Mm-hmm. That's what she. That's what she says. And you called out to it earlier, and I'm not going di- to. I'm not going to dismiss your criticism, but I actually enjoyed and appreciated some of the flashbacks to season one because of what they did for me in my mind thematically. So she says, uh, "You know, I'm the monster. I opened the gate." Um, and then in her vision of Papa, which Kali is like very much responsible for. He says to her, he says, you have a wound, and it's festering. Right. Do you remember what festering is? You know, so he says that to her, and this is what, like, went off in my brain as I'm sitting there watching that phenomenal scene where she's closing the gate, is that that's the moment it calls back to. When, so here's the connection that that's took place in my head, is that as she's closing the gate, she's remembering that he says, you have a wound. And, and that wound is going to kill you. Now, there's a couple of different ways you could take it. You could take that to mean like, oh, she's going to try so hard and she's going to burst. But, it, but, but how I kind of walked away from that moment, I walked away from that moment feeling like, holy crap, the wound is this mistake that she feels responsible for, this thing that happened that she, that she feels causes all of this, this trouble, this trauma. Right. And, and so now she's going to go and she's actually going to engage with that wound specifically. So I, so, I, so basically my broader sentence of theme is closing the gate on old wounds. Sure. You know, like, sure. like the pain that was done to her, which is why I find that train yard sequence so, so compelling. You know, the things that, that drive, uh, her isolation and all of the unfair treatment that she received and, and just just all of those things that were done to her. But then also kind of coming out of that, the thing that she did as well. And being able to get to a place, I found it genuinely quite moving and beautiful that that whole sequence at the end of Seven, at the, at the end of that, you know, just such a weak episode... But at the end of that episode where she's like, no, I can I can save them. And and she realizes that like coming into her own doesn't necessarily mean moving on in this case, but means like I'm going to I'm going to seal the loop. Right. And I think I think there is a time and a place, a purpose and a justification that sometimes you have to shake the dust off your feet and sometimes you have to move forward. But I do think sometimes people progress forward in such deep unending pain in such deep uh, uh bitterness and and uh they they just these these roots the the vines of the upside down just spread throughout the 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 ground of their heart and just cause everything to rot 
because the, the, the wound is still open. Right. And right. yeah, they are far removed from where it opened. And yeah, there's there's all kinds of time and distance that have happened to it. But the bottom line is it is still an open thing. Sure, and, sure. And until she goes, until she goes back and actually, you know, forcibly uses all of her willpower to confront that gate and to close it before some even more wicked thing passes through it, then that's the only way that there's going to be wholeness restored to the right side up, as it were. Sure. Um, because those vines of infection have just saturated everything because of that that wound. So something about that metaphor of closing the gate on on old wounds just just deeply impacted me uh in a way that i think uh despite its uh its noteworthy flaws uh really bolstered my affection for the season as a whole um so i would i would welcome or invite any any thoughts on that or no i, I mean i think that's a i think that's a really strong uh way to to interpret kind of all of season two really but what's interesting is is you know as as someone who uh, and 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 perhaps you would echo this for yourself i don't know but you know these 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 old wounds we live with that we do carry around that we may not have closed the gate on you know won't cause weak episodes in our lives per se but will make us act out (laughs) will make us act out you know and in ways that we don't comprehend or are totally conscious of in the moment um and so sure you know as as sort of strange not strange as sort of using that word again weak as the the sum of episode seven might be from a metaphorical standpoint or following the thematic standpoint that is her acting out that is her right you know sort of living out of that rot and out of that yeah broken core um, you know, yeah, so, so no, absolutely. I, I can get behind that interpretation and it does, I, I think, and, and I alluded to this a minute ago for all my misgivings about parts of season two. And I, and I think you're bringing some of this to the surface. I really did love kind of where it landed, you know? Sure. Um, sure. I'm not I'm not in love with how they got there, but I did love kind of how it landed. And perhaps what you're articulating is is part of what I was intuiting, which is yes, that sort of closed loop, that closed gate. You know, even even with my what about the portals everywhere? You know, like <laughs> like I can get behind thematically what you're suggesting there. Because because we do terrible things out of our woundedness and don't oh yeah and and, oh, yeah. and and don't realize it you know yeah um and we cause and we cause such tremendous distress for others in ways that we wouldn't even be able to quantify if it was placed right in our face you know right like like, right. Some, like what are you talking about i did can, this you know but right not even exactly realizing it. And and I think that's what's so I I think that's what's so powerful to me about where this show this season went is is that idea of like that that's hard work you know papa says to to her like it may very well kill you like you know or it's or it's going to kill you and i know i was talking with another uh, dear friend about a a, uh, something that had happened happened in their life and and they were 
struggling to actually have the conversations about it. Like, I know I need to talk about this. I know I need to talk to this person. I know I need to visit the grave of this other person. Like, I know I need to go. But they, but they were so afraid of the work. They were so afraid of what lie ahead because it had caused so much turmoil and emotional upheaval for them. Um, yeah, it, like the vision, if it's not already obvious to listeners, like the vision of staring down your open wound and on the other side of that open wound is a big freaking shadow spider like a, that, that is you know, threatening, it's almost like the Goliath to David, like, you will never beat me, like, I defy your God, I defy your hope, I defy every element of you, like, you'll never upend me, you'll never shut me out, and and the the work and the effort and the will that is required to to push forward in that and actually work to seal the gate, and the fact that uh, that even though Eleven is kind of I wouldn't say exclusively, but primarily responsible for getting that gate closed. Like she needed the rest of them. Like she needed, she needed some assistance from, from all the rest of the team, from all the rest of the community to sort of get where she needed to get, to actually get it closed down. And there's just so much about that, that moment of her hovering, levitating, exerting all of all that she can as that gate slowly closes that I found, uh, truly powerful. Um, I'll I'll bring in uh, and then invite if you have any further thoughts on this particular subject. I'll bring in the scripture that I had in mind for this, uh, specifically related to that theme. Although there's a thousand different things that you could that you could look at, but Isaiah 61, verses three through four, it says, um, "For those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair." They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And there's something to me that as I think about, you know, the the hope that we have in the gospel or the hope that we have in, in a faithful life, that idea of, it is so easy to just like look among the ruins and be like assigning blame, assigning responsibility, going the route of like what Nancy and Jonathan try to do of like, okay, we're going to uh, dispel, we're, we're going to get the word out and we're going right. to close down Hawkins lab and all this other stuff. Like, like we could go that route. We could do that. But in the end, that's not going to close the gate. Like, like, I don't know. There's so many different places that I could go with this, and I feel uh, the a little bit of the pressure of time and and the weight of how long we've been discussing. But I guess I, I guess I should just should just rest on the fact of like, hey, there there is hope that even though, the, for lack of a better way of putting it, like the upside down has infected quite a bit of us. Um, but like we talked about with with season one. We don't give up on people. Like we don't, we don't write them off. We don't cast them out, except for maybe Billy. I cast him. But, <laughs> um, but like, uh, I'm teasing, of course. But like, we don't cast them out. We don't write them off. We we acknowledge that, like, hey, it's not just about getting people out of the upside down. Like, it's not just about getting them out of the traumatic situations. You've got to close the gate. You've got to address the problem. Well, and to, and to uh, uh, compliment what you're saying, you mentioned we don't we don't write people off. 
uh, the thought that struck me as you said that was like even ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I mean, in the case because we may the, place a bunch of blame at our door. Right. I was going to say even in the case or in the specific case of the show, I mean, Eleven's going on the lamb is is out of that. You know, it's yeah. I have caused all this pain and trauma, uh, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna run away. Yeah. And and they like the Hawkins lab technicians like treat treat everything the only way they know how, surely, but like they just they just sort of try to cauterize the whole thing. Right. They just sort of try to burn burn it all away, like you know, Im- impact it that way. And I guess what I'm what I'm really believing in, perhaps against all hope, like we look at the we look at the things going on in the world around us, we look at the social troubles, we look at the the political ills, we look at everything going around us. And maybe it's just timing. Maybe it's where I'm at in life. Maybe it's something dip deeper, or or um, I don't know. But something about it, like I look at all of these problems, and I see tons of people trying to treat symptoms, just like trying to burn away the thing as it spreads. Like let's just you know kind of to, to your point, be very reactive. Sure, be very sure. like we're we're just gonna. Um, combat it as it comes up and then wait for the next thing and then we'll combat that when that comes up and then we'll do that. Like, be very right. reactive. But as I mentioned in the earlier part of our conversation, the one character who I consider to be very proactive in this is is L is 11. And she's the one who finally is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut the gate. You know, like, I'm going to go. And I feel like what we as a people, what we as humanity, what we as a nation, what we as believers, what we as as just a community of living flesh and blood human beings, what we need is we need something to get beyond symptoms, go go deeper, and actually st- start trying to shut the gate. Like right, I, I know right. that that's just this big broad metaphor. Uh, you know, no, listeners. I, I mean, who, I think who, I think it works, and I think that one of the ideas I think you're after is. You can't, we can't just torch each other, <laughs> you know, yeah, to, to, yeah. to shut it off. And, and without f- traveling too far down this trail here, you and I were actually having a conversation unrelated to Stranger Things on the phone recently about uh, relative emotional ideas or, 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 or spiritual ideas of how so many of us are, when, when, when a collective body of people, writ large a, a country is acting out of wounds and acting out of yeah. out of festering wounds and are not cognizant of our own inside upside down spilling out into the world yeah yeah we are we are not paying attention to we are we are missing the boat on how to solve the problem which hear me i'm not trying to say like it's this pat answer but in terms of you know, you mentioned a minute ago doing the work. There's so much work required in that self-assessment and self-reflection. You know, I had this random in, um, sort of interaction on on social media, or saw some random interactions happening that are of a very of the moment variety today of people just people of faith on two incredibly different sides of the conversation, just going at sure, each other. Sure. And yeah, I was, and, I and honestly, Reed, I had this impulse to kind of jump in and I was, I just, just to be frank, like I even typed a thing out and then I was like, no, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't, it doesn't right. matter. Like, 
but I'm not I'm not gonna add anything. If I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna help anything. Um and and which isn't me suggesting, you know, there's there's never a time or place for that kind of thing. I do think though we confuse ourselves to a to a highly detrimental way or in a highly detrimental way of thinking that is the work. You know, like to use your language of, right. of doing the work. Right. You know, when we think, oh, well, if I just vomit my upside down slug onto the internet and, you know, hope that the words I'm saying and the force of my language is going to let this person know that they're an idiot and they should come to the Lord. Like, no, nope. It's just, it's not going to do it. It's not going to do it at all. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, because that's a we random have, yeah. sort of trail, but... No, no, I, I mean, it, it's the kind of stuff bouncing around in my head, too, because I will say this. The wounds are personal. The wounds are deep. They are gaping. They're bleeding out. But if we want to do the work of closing the gate, you have to face the wound. Right, you right. cannot, You cannot continue to simply burn away the symptom. You cannot continue to simply try to replant pumpkins or try to do whatever you want to do to try to track the rot or whatever. You have got to face the wound. You've got to stare it down, and it may be the end of you to do so, but you have to face that reality, stare the wound in the face, and say, okay, the, the, I'm, I'm not letting you infect my life anymore. And I think before it happens on a national level, certainly before it happens on a global level, it has to happen on an individual level. We have to do it as Reed and Nathan and as individuals in our own lives before it will happen on a much broader level. Right, there are going to be right. people who are just not going to who are just not going to do it. There are going to be people who are not going to be willing to do that work. But I think that is the calling of the faithful believer is to to as as I believe Christ did, like. Just, just, I was about to say embrace the wound, but it's really just sort of like, no, just enter into it. Right. Like just, just step, step right into it and, uh, and by doing so seal it. And, and I know that that's a big metaphor Sure. and listeners may be sitting there like, well, how does that work out practically? Well, guys, that's the conversation. Like that's where we need to go. We need to, we need to, whatever the situation is, maybe as personal as a broken relationship in your own life, maybe as personal as a trauma or, or a where you yourself were a victim of something and in some other context, or it might be as broad as, you know, trends on a, on a national or a global level, but whatever the wound is specific to you, specific to your person, face it, stare it down. And with the help of the Holy spirit, close the gate, get the, get the gate shut out. Said the mind flayer, rest in peace, Bob, the brain, tell the mind flayer, like go away. Right. 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 (laughs) You know, like we know it, 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 but here's the thing is it didn't work for Will, and I, I recognize that it didn't work for Will, but following this metaphor, because he wasn't at the gate, like, well, he wouldn't have had the power to do it anyway, but, but like, <laughs> I love, I love that you're like unintentionally dismantling your own analogy, but go with it. It's keep so it. True. Just it's keep so, it. It's so true. But, but you do, my point being, you have to go to the gate. You got to go to the source and sure. then you can do the work to, to get things closed, to get things shut out. Um, and yeah, that's what I would encourage any and all listeners, uh, any and all survivors of uh, horrible traumas, um, to to do so, to do that, to do that very thing, and we have a lot of work as a nation to do, uh, to do that. We've got a lot of gates open, and uh, it's foolhardy to think that uh, we will simply be able to, you know, knock a tree down or close up one sewer grate, and that the upside down's infection will suddenly just stop. Like we've got to, 
we've got to go to the site and we've got to we've got to close the close the gate. So all right, all right. So so after a a hearty conversation, my voice is almost gone. Um, after a hearty conversation, uh, let's uh, let's bring in our old friend David S. Pumpkins and close the gate on this episode. What do you say? <laughs> let's do it. Uh, let's put it down. So let's I think, put it down. I think uh, sincerely that you and I have probably already given. Our style ratings. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll just let everybody know that uh, that we rate everything on a metric of David S. Pumpkins, and uh, so we rate those on style, scares, and substance. Would you agree that your style rating was was a four, or would you give it higher <laughs> overall? I feel sense? like an idiot. Do we do no? Because we do zero through five. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> so I can't give it an eight We've out been, of five. It's that's so funny. Listeners won't know this. It's been so long since we've recorded since we uh, yeah, it's packed true. a bunch in. I'm like, wait a minute. What is the scale? Um, that's hilarious. Now, no, it's zero to five. On a, right. on a zero through five, uh, the experience of style I would put at a 2.5. Okay. All right. I get that. Um, I'm going to be at a four for style. There's still things that I that I think are... Uh, problematic, but but things that I like. What would you do on the rate of scares? I think I would probably do a two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go much higher than that. I think the mind flayer is just a terrifying uh, analogy, but I'm going to go three and a half for scares. Uh, this one was one that you know it's got some genuinely good and unnerving moments, but uh, but overall, yeah. Uh, well, I I I know we alluded to it or referenced it directly rather. Um, Will's consumption by the shadow monster and then his subsequent uh, response to the torching of things. Those two moments alone are almost worth a point individually. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree with that. Uh, What Um, about, what about you? Well, what about you for themes? Uh, For substance? Substance, Yeah. So substances. Hey, listeners, we've been having a conversation for three and a half hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. You know about the That's mind right. flayer. <laughs> um. So so for me, substance. It's really tough because that metaphor at the end that I sort of latched onto is a really heavy hitter for me. But I but I wonder how much of that I just sort of brought to it. Um. So okay, for me, for substance, I'm gonna land at a four. Okay. Well, you've you've through your thematic conversation elevated mine, and I would give it a three for theme. All right, all right. So that means, ladies and gentlemen, that we give Stranger Things season two six and a half out of ten. David S. Pumpkins. Um, so yeah, I think my affection for it bolstered it up <laughs> a little bit from where it probably would have been, but. Uh, but I mean, it's definitely uh, you know, this, Stranger Things is a cultural phenomenon now, and I don't think there's any way, even if season three just like utterly tanks, like we're gonna we're gonna get this. Right. Netflix is is this is, I think, especially in light of recent events, uh, Stranger Things has kind of become the new flagship show for for Netflix, uh, as opposed to its previous House of Cards uh, owner. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I I think this season that, was that, had, uh, had a lot. Of, House of Cards fell to the ground, didn't it? Yeah, it sure did. Um, moving right along. Right, right, um, right. The, but the but I do think that um that there there are some dings to this season. Uh, unquestionably, uh, I still found a lot to to latch on to. But so, plenty of the criticisms that people would hurl at it, uh, I would understand and even and even echo and agree with. But uh, still. Still a strong show, I, I, in my opinion. Yeah, I, oh, I, I mean, 
I love so much about it. Uh, some of the things to me in execution just really struggled this season. But I, I am willing to acknowledge the potential that expectation played heavy into that. Um, you know, you, sure. you've given me some food for thought. And if and when the moment comes to rewatch it, I'll have a bit more of an open mind to it. Uh, yeah. All right. So then. there you go. That's All what, right. That's well, what, then, that's what uh, friends are for. That's exactly right. In good times. Okay, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, so, uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. Um, and uh, I'm going to say, just because my voice is tired and we're tired, uh, just stay tuned through the end of the music to hear our social media cues. Uh, and then next next week starts something I'm very, very excited for. Nathan, you want to tell them what happens next week as a final button? Yeah, we are. We're kicking off December with a... Are yeah, we, we it, are. Are we calling it a scary burnt Christmas or a very burnt? That's right, scary, right? Scary. We are uh, kicking off December next week with the beginning of our final series of the year. Hashtag a scary Burton Christmas. That's right. Stay tuned, everybody. And uh, we hope that you had... Uh, and or have, depending on when you listen to this, I think it would be had uh, a very, very happy Thanksgiving and uh, a very, very uh, happy Stranger Things giving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Reed. Happy Thanksgiving to you too, Nathan. All right, and we'll see you next week when we start A Scary Burton Christmas. And uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, stay frosty, everybody. <laughs> see you guys. Bye. The Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.